WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 268. side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in an Atlanta suburb. In this episode, Air Canada sues Airbus for negligence, and a Southwest Airlines first officer shows up to work with a loaded gun. That and more, including your feedback and the latest installment of Plane Tales, the second Andy Anderson interviews, part three. So get all settled in, tray tables and CPACs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 268 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast. And uh, usually just a bunch of uh, pilots, both uh, commercial and general aviation, talking about aviation. That's what we're here for. And joining me in that regard from the Carolinas, South Carolina, to be exact, we have doctor, doctor, a psychiatrist, a pilot, a strength training junkie, and an IPA connoisseur. Yes, the wonderful Dr. Steph. Yes, indeed. So, all of the above, I will um, take credit or admit guilt, depending on how you want to look at it, to each of those things. But it is good to be back in South Carolina. I had kind of a crazy, hectic week where I was out of town for a day and a half. Kind of felt like a airline pilot flying all around the country, even though I did none of the flying myself. So, good to be back here, and I'm sure we'll get to all that in just a moment. Well, speaking of never doing any flying for yourself, we also have an Airbus pilot from across the pond. I'm just kidding, of course. We have a very accomplished pilot flying the Airbuses from across the pond. We have Captain Nick Anderson. Hello, sir. Hello, Jeff. Now, I, these insults just wash off because Airbus give me a special coating like a duck's back. Uh, That's anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's Teflon. So uh, anyway, thank uh-huh. you. lovely to be back on the show. Uh, and uh, feel free to throw insults. I will have a rejoinder eventually, but it might take me three hours. <laughs> well, Lent, Lent is over, Captain Nick. Give it up for Lent. <laughs> yeah, but oh, it's yeah, over, Lent so over. Yeah, watch oh. out. You mean I can, I can bash Boeing's again? Oh, yes, you can fling all the insults you like. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, it's not my fault. Dr. Steph just set me up. She just put that thing on a T for me, you know, talking about <laughs> not actually flying. So right. I thought, oh, right. that was the way my brain works or is the way uh. my brain works. But uh, anyway, of course, we're just uh, we're just jesting, as we always of do here on the show. Of course. Yes. <laughs> um, and we're going to also have another airline pilot join us in a little bit. In fact, we've already heard from him on his drive home from the ATL to his uh, beautiful home on the uh, north west side of town in Cobb County. He'll be uh, joining us, Dana. Uh, so when he does, we'll we'll play his 
intro music and uh, and sort them in. And hey, if I don't happen to notice, and because that happens quite often while we're doing the show because I have so many things going on here in the control room, uh, please, Dr. Steph or Captain Nick, just say something because I will let you know. I, will not I, have, I, I always have the uh, hangout screen okay. open. So very I will good. let you know. That's a very smart yes. thing to do. All right. Very good. So, uh, wow, it's been a uh, it's been a it's a, been a big week. And uh, Steph, you were you're kind of mentioning that you were out of town for a quick trip. And so tell us. I about was. All that. Yeah. Um, what is today? Thursday. I can see how you guys lose track of days. Um, so, yeah. So I worked all day on Monday. On Tuesday, I worked half a day and then I went to the airport and flew to Phoenix Got in there kind of late-ish. Well, not really. I mean, it was probably 9 o'clock when we landed or just before 9 o'clock, which unfortunately because uh, uh, Arizona does not observe daylight savings time here in the United States, that means they're on Pacific time. So it's three hours later instead of two hours later. So I was all kinds of screwed up when I got in there, and I was very, very tired. Um, I'm afraid I was not very nice to the lady who was trying to process my rental car in Phoenix. Um but we got that squared away and I got to my hotel and I was there because I had an appointment um, first thing in the morning, a uh, personal appointment for myself, uh, lasted about 15 minutes. That's really the entire reason I flew across the country was for a 15 minute appointment. And then um, I had a couple hours to kill until I had to fly back to Charlotte. So I actually had booked myself into a very nice uh, Marriott Resort hotel, very close to the place where I had my appointment. And I went back to the hotel, floated in the the uh, lazy river for about an hour, went and yeah, unfortunately, I was hoping that they would be serving alcohol at that time of the morning, but they were not. So it was a, <laughs> so, uh, no, wait a sober when you say a, a lazy river. A river, is that the uh, the salt river that goes flowing uh, past uh, Phoenix? No, it's a man-made lazy river at the hotel. Oh, okay. Chlorinated. Gotcha. And with lots of little kids probably uh, peeing in the pool. Oh, probably. But I was there early enough in the morning that there weren't that many kids in the pool. So it was it was nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went and got my favorite meal of all time in the Phoenix area, which is a spaghetti calzone at Spanato's Pizzeria. And mm -hmm. almost didn't give myself enough time to get back to the air. It's all the carbs, right? So it's your spaghetti. It's your calzone. It's your beer. You just some ricotta cheese, you know. Were you about to run a marathon or something? <laughs> I, I wish. It'd be a perfect <laughs> priming for it, but alas, no. <laughs> I did go for a very, very, very nice hike at sunrise um, when I got there because I was awake at like 4 o'clock in the morning because I was screwed up time-wise. Um, and <laughs> I felt bad because there was a guy who uh, from uh, guest services who knocked on my door to the hotel at about five o'clock in the morning. And he said, I have uh, the items you requested. And I said, oh, I didn't request anything. And he was standing there with like a couple of towels and like amenities that someone had obviously forgotten, like a razor and some uh, like toothpaste and other stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's very nice, but those aren't for me. I, I, I have all my stuff. Thank you. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, you're good. I'm, I'm, I'm up. I'm going for, for a run. It's all good. So I went out and, um, a very good friend of mine is from the Phoenix area, and she suggested a uh, hike at Pinnacle Peak Park, uh, which is about 15 minutes away. So I drove over there and had a very, very nice hike at sunrise. Um, it was really strenuous, actually. I, I kind of half ran, half walked it because 
it was kind of loose gravel and the shoes I had were not really great for loose gravel. And it was a lot of steps up and down and up and down. Um, took me about an hour to do the three and a half mile out and back. So that was, that was nice, nice and strenuous. And then, um, made it to my appointment, went back did the float in the lazy river, went and got my spaghetti calzone and made it with 15 minutes to spare to my flight to go back to Charlotte. So awesome. it was a nice, uh, nice day and a half of travel for, you know, Sounds perfect. I'm business. just going to compare and contrast that with mine later on. Sure. And then uh, today was a very nice day as well. And I think we'll get to that in probably just a moment as well. Well, so, we will. Do that now? Uh, okay. we, could, we could do that now if you want. Oh, we could hear from Nick first. I don't care. Okay. Let's hear from Nick first. Why not? We'll do the meetups here in a second. Yeah. So, Captain Nick, you said you were going to compare and contrast uh, your week with Steph's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. So um, I got a Manchester uh, to Atlanta flight on my roster. And for those who don't know, I'm actually based well in the south of England and Manchester isn't. So uh, on uh, Easter uh, Saturday, I think it was. Yes, there you go. I had to jump on a, a uh, BA flight and position myself to Manchester. Now, this is the good thing. Manchester is the hometown of my lovely friend, uh, all our lovely friend, uh, or all ours. How do you say that? All our I don't lovely. Know. I just skip over there are, that. There are more of us. <laughs> all of our. All, all of, our, uh, all of our, I don't. That's a weird. Friend. That's a weird uh, thing to try. That is a weird thing to try. All, 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 all y'all's. All y'all's. All y'all's. All ours. I don't know. <laughs> Captain Al. Anyway, yeah, we all know it. Friend we of us all, it. Captain Al. <laughs> Captain Al. There we so, go. Uh, there's a little uh, uh, chit-chat that I have with him and a lovely meal. Uh, we'll hear about that in a minute. So the next morning, uh, because I don't go to uh, Manchester very often, I have no idea where everything is set up and the little uh, bit of uh, information written in our books about it is way out of date. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, I eventually struggled my way, found uh, the check-in, sorted out how to deposit my luggage, completely different system to almost anywhere else in the world, uh, and uh, found the crew room, met the crew, got out of the airplane, got airborne, had a nice trip out to Atlanta. The very next day, we normally get two days in Atlanta, but from Manchester, the flight's just a tiny bit shorter, so we only total one day. We did an overnight flight back to Manchester, and this is where the nightmare started because we landed at about 8, 8.30 in the morning, and I was really tired uh, and um, got off the airplane. I was so uh, we had a few snags to debrief the engineer. And when I got off the airplane, everyone else had disappeared. So uh, I, I went to the end of the uh, corridor to get off, and the door was locked. <laughs> and my pass doesn't work. So I oh, had no. to go back to the all the way down the finger to the air, guy there and say, Can you find someone to open this door? And he said, Oh, yeah, there's someone down the end of the airplane. Hang on. He called his mate up. And they escorted me down the end and opened this door and got me out into the finger. And I started walking down. And then I realized I didn't have my hat on. So I had to turn around. And, of course, the door's locked again. So I had no way of getting in. I'm banging on the door trying to attract the attention of these guys on the airplane. But it's a good 100 meters away. And there's no way that's going to work. So I collared some passing official, very nice-looking bloke, and persuaded him that I wasn't a terrorist and he should let me onto my airplane. <laughs> Eventually, I got my hat back and restarted my journey. And uh, finally, I wound my way through everything and ended up at the outside world with my uh, uh, suitcase 
and then walked through corridors and um, overhead passes and just for about three miles, I think, to get from my terminal to the terminal, I needed to find my flight to position home. When I got there, I went to the lovely lady at the BA desk who were flying me home and said, uh, I don't suppose there's an earlier flight, is there? And she said, oh, you just missed it by 10 minutes. Oh, <laughs> said, oh, oh. damn. That's so disappointing. Damn. So 12 o'clock flight, Sorry. and I then had like three and a bit hours, which was a good job considering what happened next because I'd bought some duty-free on the aircraft, which was in my briefcase, and when I uh, had checked my bag and wandered through the security, took out my duty-free and put it in the tray, and the guy said, oh, no, can't, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's more than 100 milliliters. I said, well, it's duty-free. He said, I, it needs to be in a special bag, and you need to have the receipt. Well, I said, well, I've got the receipt right here, and it's in a bag. And he said, no, 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 that's the wrong kind of bag. <laughs> <laughs> what? what do you want to, like, you know, what? leather-lined uh... <laughs> It's got to be a special a kind of bag sealed bag, which we don't have on board the aircraft. We just hand it to people in a duty-free plastic bag, but it's not sealed at the top and not double thickness or whatever the requirement was. Uh -huh. So I said, oh, no, come on. And he said, no, no, you can't. Anyway, it was a lovely bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label, so I wasn't going to throw that away. So I said, well, what can I do? He says, well, you got to put it in your check bag. And I went, oh, no. So anyway, I retrieved everything off the <laughs> the conveyor belt, most of which had gone through the x-ray machine, so it wanted to be brought around to a big crowd of people all trying to uh, get through to their flights. And and I got everything back eventually and wandered back to the lovely BLA and they said, can I have my check back, my hold baggage back? And they said, oh, it'll take us a little while, sir. Well, quite right, because it's disappeared into the bowels of Manchester Airport. Ugh. Long story short, I sat and had a coffee, and half an hour, 45 minutes later, they found my bag. I uh, put the bottle inside and rechecked it, praying it was going to actually be right, because it's now sort of out of phase with the system. Went through security and then sat around for another hour and something, waiting for this flight, got on. And just felt dreadful because think about it, I've flown all night and it's now sort of one o'clock in the morning, holding, going into London, land, found my bag. Oh, the whiskey wasn't broken, brilliant. But now I had to catch a train to Terminal 3 and then a bus to the car park, get in my car, drive home. I got home at three o'clock in the afternoon. At that point, I'd been awake for 23 hours. Yep. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I was so tired. I was just blurred. Stupid. So you had a lovely trip, Steph. I imagine. I did. And actually, super. I was able to, I had two flight segments I had to go through from Phoenix to Houston Hobby and then Houston Hobby back to Charlotte yesterday. And I slept about an hour on each flight, which was very nice because I got in at about 11 p.m. and I had to work at 7 a.m. this morning. So I was actually good to go. I was I was not too worse for the wear. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> I'm not just very sorry. happy for you. <laughs> yes. yes. So anyway, the Manchester Atlanta flights for us are a, a nightmare when you're not based in Manchester. And it's certainly the odd one that has to be yeah. filled by a London pilot, but uh, it's just a uh, you know, not a good day for me when I have yeah. to do one of those. I, I will say I was kind of a miserable human being when I got to Phoenix the first night because it was just late. And, you know, when you're trying to get a rental car, they're always like, oh, 
hello, what brings you to town? What part of town are you staying in? And you're like, shut up. Just give me the darn car. Just give me the keys. I need to get to the hotel so I can go to sleep. <laughs> and I feel bad for being such a kind of unpleasant person there. But stop, I will stop, say stop. I did get recognized by a gate agent in Charlotte for the first time, which was funny and flattering all at the same time. So, um, I actually didn't even ask what his name was. I'm terrible. So, but to, if you're listening, thank you for, uh, for you, that. It was, you, you, you know who you are <laughs> listening. Southwest gate agent in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, that's uh, cool. Isn't that weird? It was very, yeah, it was bizarre. He's like, <laughs> he, you know, he kind of did a double take. Like he looked up at me and he goes, what's your first name? <laughs> Stephanie or Stephanie? is it Steph or is it Dr. Steph? Are you a doctor? <laughs> He's like, I know you. <laughs> That's funny. I said, I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. No, so. you think you know me, but you really don't. Yeah. yeah. No, he, he was very nice. Uh, a listener from <clears throat> Charlotte, North Carolina. So, well, you know, as long as we're talking about Charlotte and, mm. uh, you know, airports and stuff, why don't mm -hmm. we just go ahead and, uh, play the meetup that you had today. I did. I had a little meetup today with a, uh, we'll just call him an old friend. Okay, let's see what uh, we can hear here. So, hey, it's Dr. Steph here. I'm actually in the Charlotte Douglas Airport. And the reason I'm here, not because I'm flying anywhere today, but I came by to have lunch with an old friend, someone you might recognize. Wait, who's this guy? Uh, you might need that. Yeah, let me put this on this on the on the proper <laughs> ear there. Hey, everybody! It's Miami Rick. Remember that guy who used to uh, bore you to death with technical uh, details and questions and answers and stuff. But anyway, um, here with uh, Dr. Steph at the uh, Charlotte Airport. We just had some uh, great lunch. We had a uh, was it the like salmon, uh, salmon salad salad with uh, the vinaigrette. And I had a beer. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have a beer. Steph did. I had a beer. <laughs> it I'm on, was delicious. She had two beers, actually. No, I had club soda. Uh, I'm on my way to uh, Anchorage um, doing my uh, commute. I'll be flying from here to Phoenix and then on to Seattle and then on to Anchorage. Be there for a day and a half. And then I'm starting my 17-day uh, deal around Southeast Asia. And uh, this time I'm going to – I'll be in Hong Kong. I'll be in Japan. I'm going to Europe again, and then uh, to some uh, of the unmentionables that I can't mention. But uh, yeah, having uh, a good time here with Dr. Steph. My flight leaves in 10 minutes. Uh, I've been uh, speaking with uh, Captain Jeff about um, actually answering some of the feedback on the road, which is something that I uh, feel like I have to do, and I, uh, it feels like it's going to be a monumental task. Do it. <laughs> because... Yeah, I think, uh, I think I have a lot of feedback piled up. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Also, I'm going to start doing these uh, crew locks. I kind of feel uh, left out because everybody's doing them except for me. I do them occasionally. I haven't done one for a while. Sorry. <laughs> so I'll start doing those as well. So look forward. Uh, so look out for those. And um, I'll be coming back on the show hopefully very, very soon here. It's really hard because you guys don't understand that, you know, Everybody on the APG crew kind of works on Eastern time, except for Captain Nick because he flies an Airbus. But, um, you know, the rest of us who are normal uh, kind of work on Eastern, uh, Eastern time. And so when I'm on, you know, when you guys are on Eastern time doing the, your, you know, the deal on, uh, you know, 4, 5, 6 p.m. Eastern time, it's morning time where I'm, you know, where I'm spending the night. So uh, it's kind of hard to kind of 
line that up. But uh, we'll make it happen. I'm looking at uh, changing bases, hopefully, from Anchorage to Huntsville here in the very near future. So when that happens, my destinations will change, and it'll be a lot easier to kind of line things up and uh, go back to uh, being a regular on the APG crew and the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Everybody take care, fly safe, and uh, we'll uh, be in touch and uh, talk to you guys very soon. Bye. I'll just say we can't wait for you to be back. It's not the same without you, man. We really, really, really miss you. I'm looking forward to you answering some of that feedback that's been piled up since uh, I don't even know when. So um, if you've sent in feedback for Rick in the past year and a half, it might get answered maybe soon. We hope. All right. Take care, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Sorry about that. We thought the uh, we thought the feedback was over. Uh, our bad. Uh, there's uh, somebody that's joined the uh, panel. Look at that. Who has joined us? It must be that Harley driving airline pilot, first officer, Dana Colton. Good afternoon, guys. How are you today? Great. How are you? Doing fantastic. Just finished up the trip. Uh, ran home in rush hour traffic and made it uh, in decent time to get here to start yeah. off the show with you guys. And well, of course, I did something illegal, but I, yeah, it's all right. Oh, okay. We don't, don't need to know. Don't tell us. We're on the air. Don't, don't. Oh, you, don't, you don't saw, you, you saw it. That's all it matters. Oh, yeah. Okay. We know. It was, we know. it was, it was hands-free. So technically it was. It you was know legal. what? I found out this week. That's not illegal in Arizona. So if the next time you're in Arizona, feel free. Okay, I wonder what cool. they're talking about. Hmm. I, I called in before the, before oh, the show that. started. That's what it what, was. What do you mean? That's not that's not illegal. Uh, yeah. Texting is. I think you can talk on your phone, can't you? Yeah, you can. Yeah, hands I was, free. I was, yeah, I was completely hands free. I was you know on my yeah. my speaker in my car. So Apparently was, in uh, Arizona, you can even text. They don't care. Wow, they don't care. They have so to just throw, there. Just throw the immigrants back over over that's the border. Right. That's uh -oh. all. That's right. Okay, careful. okay, careful, careful. I don't know. I don't know. I know. Watch the immigrants jokes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, we're we're glad to have you here. So uh, we we already told everybody about our. Well, I haven't finished yet. Actually, we haven't finished with Captain Nick's uh, meetup as well. But we'll we'll sandwich in what has happened with you this week, uh, Dana. Obviously, you've been flying. Yeah, uh, uneventful week. Had a nice, um, very nice, surprisingly, a thirty-two hour layover in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, nice little town. Uh, quite shocked as to, um, you know, it's got a lot of great food, a lot of great uh, entertainment venues. It has a really nice museum right on the waterfront for nautical, uh, um, you know, uh, shipping. Um, I didn't get to go see that. I was busy in my room. No, I was busy in my room studying because I've got recurrent training on Monday and Tuesday. Right. So okay. Uh -huh. Roger. I, I studied uh, very hard and uh -huh. uh, I still have a little uh -huh. more to do on Sunday. Uh -huh. And getting ready, so uh, uneventful oh. week, just like most airlines, most airline pilots like it. Uh, a good trip. Uh, flew with a really good captain, and unlike Jeff, yeah, no, a <laughs> really, know, yeah, no, that's, that's a really, that's a great captain. These great that's, captains, right, right. yeah, good. great captain. What's so. the point? <laughs> uh, so, by the way, I'm uh, I spent a good part of my life in Mobile, uh, middle school and high school. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of sort of my hometown, sort of, not really. But yeah. anyway, well, great. I'm glad you had a good layover. I uh, hope you got some good studying done. I did uh, for recurrent. I really did. Yeah, excellent. 
All so, right. Hey, I'm sorry to barge in here. But no, uh, just, uh, yeah, just just real quick, I wanted to add, uh, add on to the end of that feedback from Rick. It was super nice to see Rick. Haven't seen him for a while, and uh, we definitely miss him here. So, yes, we do. Thanks, Rick, for spending the time with me this afternoon and uh, recording a little bit. And we hope to hear from you soon again. Yeah, so. I'm glad he feels guilty about uh, you know not being on oh, the show. Oh yeah, I laid on the guilt real thick too. You just, must have. Oh, because good girl, Steph. Yeah, he felt like uh, very. Con- <laughs> It'd be nice to have him back out more often. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're, we're hoping that the, the change in base will have a positive effect on I, him I hope so, too. Show. Yeah. So <laughs> that's we're looking forward to that. I was going to say, at least he's not five time zones away. I was a four. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Four. That's, Moving four again. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, speaking of meetups, we uh, have another recording that we'd like to play. And this one was with Captain Nick and Captain Al. So take it away. Hi there, APGs. It's uh, the old pilot. I'm sitting here, well, not sitting actually, you're strolling through Manchester. And uh, this must be the one day in the year where the rain has stopped because it's very pleasant and uh, it's a nice evening. And uh, beside me is the wonderful uh, Cat Now who has invited me out for a meal, which we uh, have done. Now, those of you who get the coffee fund extra will know that I've just positioned up to Manchester so that tomorrow morning I can fly the uh, Manchester-Atlanta flight. And uh, not my favorite job to do because just getting up here is a bit of a pain. Uh, And uh, we only get one night in Atlanta, which is not ideal. Um, but there you go. It's so nice to see Captain Al though. He's taken me out to dinner. We've just had a soup, a curry, and a bunch of beers. And he has a, a rather damp crutch, uh, for which I have profusely apologized. But uh, unfortunately, I struck a full pint of beer with my menu. Uh, it tipped over in a fantastically accurate direction and spewed an entire pint of lager straight onto the joining point of his jeans. Uh, So he spent the entire evening sitting in a very damp patch, uh, but he's very good about it. (laughs) So what can I say? I have apologized a number of times. Uh, anyway, he's, I think he's quite keen to get home now and dry his crutch out. Anyway, um, uh, you don't all know Captain Al very well, and he's a marvellous guy. So um, I've just uh, asked him to see if he can dream up a little story to amuse you with. Um, and uh, then I'm going to move on. Uh, it's not often I get a chance to meet Al, so it's been a super evening. But uh, here he is for your delectation. Thank you very much. Um, I'm trying to desperately work out how I'm going to explain soggy trousers to my wife because she wasn't <laughs> entirely convinced of the legitimacy of my story with regards to coming out to Nick, especially as I you know, put on a clean shirt, as I'm not often prone to do that. But no, no, it was, it was a remarkably good shot. I, I can see why you were such a success in the Air Force with accuracy like that. That really was precision bombing of my pants. <laughs> Uh, no, we've had a, a thoroughly uh, good, good meal, and we're uh, just ambling back now like a, uh, a romantic couple walking through the, uh, the moonlit streets of uh, uh, Manchester suburb of Hale. Uh, with regards to a, a story, well, I'll tell you a, a very quick joke that uh, some pilot listeners and cabin crew listeners may well 
understand, and then I shall explain it for those of you who don't. But the joke is, how do you spot an airline pilot at a dinner party? And the answer is, it is the person who puts their dinner plate on the floor behind them when they've finished. <laughs> now, for anybody who doesn't get it, and I can quite understand why, uh, typically when we get served our in-flight meals, uh, we eat them, and then when we finish, we like to get rid of the, the debris and the trays and so forth. So we tend to pick them up and put them on the floor behind us, don't we? <laughs> we do. Or on the jump seat, perhaps. Yes. Um, and then at some point, someone will come along and collect, hopefully. Uh, although it has been known for them to still be there for landing. <laughs> and depending on the nature of the, uh, the landing determines as to how much carnage there is on the flight deck and how much picking up of cups, mugs and the odd bit of crisp packet, etc, etc. Anyway, uh, that is uh, the reason as to why you'll spot an airline pilot at a dinner party with the, uh, the, the plate behind them. So uh, we've arrived at the car now. Where would you like taking to this evening, sir? Right, well, I've got to ease back to my hotel, so I'm uh, at the airport hotel tonight, and then tomorrow morning it's a fairly early get-up. So uh, is it a full breakfast in the morning? I hope so. I, I don't know whether it's included. Ah. So if it's not included, I might just grab a coffee and wait till I find out what's on the airplane menu. Well, they, they do do a good bacon bap at the Greg's in, the, uh, in Terminal <laughs> 2. <laughs> OK. So you can pick up a bacon bap... For those of you who don't know Greg's, it's a uh, it's a rather uh, what am I going to say here? Uh, it's it's not exactly prime prime cuisine, hoot cuisine, hoot cuisine. So uh, yeah, it's the bottom end of the fried food market, I would say. Well, it's sort of like a, uh, it is to, to bakeries what Denny's is to uh, gourmet dining in the United States, I'd probably say. <laughs> yes, I, I think there's a lot of Denny's fans out yep. in the States. And, and if you really want to push the boat out, there's also a spa in the terminal as well. Not a not health spa, but a spa <laughs> convenience store. Yeah, OK. Think of uh, Houston's. Yeah. And uh, it'll be the same. And, of course, the crew will be expecting you to bring along Easter eggs tomorrow. Oh, God, I never thought about that. <laughs> Oh, I better find see if I can find some in the terminal. That's the Manchester crew are very demanding. I'm a bit worried about them. They they're man eaters, uh, so I'm concerned about that. Captain Jeff can uh, attest to that. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you will be viewed as you know, new kid on the block, fresh meat. You know, oh, a challenge. Yeah. yeah, challenge. The old man. No, we'll see about that. Actually, we're standing. It's very romantic. Have you noticed how romantic this sound? We're standing beside this beautiful cherry tree that's Indeed. in full bloom here, and besides. Al's very shiny Mercedes. I have to say, I'm very impressed how he manages that on an A320 pilot's salary. I'm not sure. Perhaps it has something to do with the fact that he's been secreting away allowances for many years. <laughs> Don't mention allowances. My wife doesn't know about them. <laughs> OK. Right, well, we'll call it quits there and uh, let Jeff get on with the show. It's been a marvellous chance to meet up with Al and uh, we hope to see him many more times and certainly hear from him many more times in the future. Thanks very much, Al. Take care now. Thanks. Cheers. I'm a little concerned. First the bishop's finger and now Captain Al. Yeah. In the production you're... value, you're you're killing me there. <laughs> He's killing everybody. <laughs> that was good. I, I only had like an hour to put mine together, so. Well, I do that in 30 sense. minutes. You need to just get uh, uh, garage band on your iPad. That's what you I need. I have it. But I had to drive home, and that killed my time. <laughs> excuses, excuses. It sounds like you. I have a lot like of Rick. 
with all his excuses. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, just be like Dana and multitask. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> all right. Anyway, it was a super night uh, with uh, Cap Now. Awesome. He is such good company now. He's such a funny guy and uh, such good, has such a good nature. Um, I, I forgot to ask him if he was coming out to Pittsburgh. I think he, he is. is. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited so, to see him. We can all enjoy his company again. again. Yeah, he's. A, I think he was talking about some, another chicken eating race. I'm hoping we can oh, no, 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 possibly yes. avoid that. Well, you're not involved there. It's just oh, thank God for it's that. between myself and Captain L. I, I think you should have a schooner race uh, in rather schooner? than. Uh, oh, yeah, a beer drinking race. Oh, a uh, contest, we like to call it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, That's more difficult. We call I am, a funnel. I am prepared for the chicken nugget eating contest. Well, I think you should practice some, some liquids as well. What was it last last go round? I think he consumed twenty eight, and I consumed twenty nine in ten minutes. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to break the, the thirty mark. So, <laughs> bring it. Hey, Steph, I'm going to I'm going to yeah. bring you. Uh, I suggest you go buy a uh, funnel and start practicing. Ugh, that's so difficult for me. <laughs> right. Chug, 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 as Dave said. Dave Abbey in the chat this room. Is chug, 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 chug. Beer number four today. Wow. All right. right. Nice. Uh, she is in training. She is in training. I, I haven't seen any nuggets, but maybe she's already consumed them. That's that's my eighth drink. No, we had we had well, salmon salads today. I was good. Very good. I had to eat lunch with Rick. It was healthy. Well, I think, you know, you were just talking about Pittsburgh, and that's a great segue into my little meetup that I didn't record, unfortunately didn't think about that, but uh, took some pictures and shared them on Twitter, uh, but uh, I'll put those in the show notes as well, uh, but I had a layover in Pittsburgh on Tuesday. I got in nice and early and uh, stayed back at the airport. My first officer left me. I told him to go ahead and go downtown and start his his uh, layover, but I said I have somebody to meet here near the airport, and oh, yes. Captain Bell came around in his uh, truck and picked me up, and we went over to the courtyard or what is it called, the courtyard by Marriott Hotel, which I believe about ninety percent of the people staying uh, for the air show, the Wings Over Pittsburgh Air Show, are going to be staying at that hotel. And uh, we went in there, and I just wanted to kind of make contact with the local folks there and introduce myself and kind of check out the space for the uh, the live event uh, slash APG meetup that we're having on Saturday night, the 13th. And uh, turns out that uh, Captain Bell, Rick, needed to kind of touch base with the folks over there. Apparently, they're going to actually have a space, or a booth at the, uh, at the uh, event as well. And so, uh, let's see. So we got to meet some of the people there at the hotel. And they showed us the space, the event space. And it looks like it's going to work out well for us. Um, only maximum occupancy 60. So hopefully we'll be able to squeeze everybody in. And uh, we'll have a good time at the uh, at the hotel. But I'm sure that because we have so many other people staying there, I'm sure the party is going to spill out into rooms and out into the courtyard itself. Very, very likely. So, I hope so. Yeah. Did I mention I'm jealous? Yes. Uh, we, we, we have established that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dana is jealous. He's, he's not going to be able to make it, but he'll be no. suffering on the cruise. 
Ah, but uh, Captain Nick can. I've confirmed. My it's attendance. awesome. Excellent. Yay. Yay. Let's probably play, play some applause if I can find it here. <clears throat> there we go. Yeah, it was yep. good news that uh, you were able to arrange to be available for those days. So, Oh, yeah. Acme Red were uh, a bit of a dastardly, uh, did a dastardly deed and gave me a trip on the Monday, which meant I would have had to have left Saturday afternoon. Ugh. But uh, I've managed to shift that, at least my kind manager, if he ever listens to this. Thank you very much, David. You're a nice chap. We all love um, it. He, <laughs> he says he's. He, I can forget that trip. He'll give me another trip somewhere else in the month to make up, and uh, and I can have uh, Monday and Tuesday free, so I won't be leaving Yay. until Monday. Great. And the whole weekend, I should so, get that Thursday with any. I think I'll be there all weekend, but I have to leave first thing Monday morning and go to work. Okay. Oh, I'm sure most of us will have to leave on Monday. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Just so set, Sunday night for me. I might have to be a little more reserved than I would like to be, but ah, oh, boo! No, oh, well. yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, we'll have to make up for it Saturday night. Yes, Friday exactly. night, Saturday but night. But I, I will be there. So I predict step will be under the table on Saturday night. What? Well, we're we're not going to get into that. It's a family <laughs> show. <laughs> when has that ever happened to me? What, drinking someone drinking you under the table. Oh, that, well, I reckon yeah. If we get you in a schooner race with Al, it, we might get halfway there. <laughs> is, Al is doesn't this, drink beer though, so we're good. Is this an APG meetup or an AA meetup? Uh, both. <laughs> uh, is there a difference? <laughs> uh, I think it's the same. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, so we had a great time. Uh, checked out some of the local area around the. 911th uh, airlift wing and the the hotel which is literally across the uh, this overpass and uh saw on a on a big map where we're going to be set up we're going to have a space with uh, uh for the uh, APG and Av geeks to hang out and uh meet up and uh yeah it's going to be a lot of fun so again we're planning on doing the live recording slash APG meetup at the Courtyard Hotel at seven o'clock on Saturday evening uh, after the air show ends. So, perhaps. We'll How do you think we'll recognize all our APG listeners? Uh, well, Jeff? I think they're going to recognize us. Yeah, I think well, so. they could recognize us. But well, I mean, the good, the, them? The, uh, just look for really good-looking people that look really smart and us. Uh, us. really yeah, smart I mean, wearing something. Oh, you know what? We should probably come up with some kind of a t-shirt or something uh that Ooh, might that might be a good idea maybe something with a uh an apg acme logo on it good. that'd be cool that'd and be brilliant. maybe something specific to the the meetup um the uh apg well, what what do you think Nick? wings you have any apg wings over pittsburgh apg There's over a, pittsburgh apg over pittsburgh there you go I Ooh, like that okay sounds lovely so uh-huh. uh I think we're going to have a T-shirt just like that uh, ready for sale soon on redbubble.com. And uh, if you want uh, your own copy of it, you're welcome to. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, when that's available. And, um, yeah, for those who are going to be actually uh, at the air show, why don't you contact me uh, directly at Jeff at Airline Pilot Guy. And the subject put T-shirt, or why don't you put uh, W-O-P t-shirt that's wings over pittsburgh t-shirt and let me know um if you would like a shirt and what size and i'm going to actually homebrew uh, uh some here in my man cave 
print printing studio. And I'm going to take those with me uh, to the show. And those, again, are for those who are going to be actually uh, showing up at the air show. And then uh, exactly. if you are camp, And that'll it, give us a nice count of who's going to be there too, correct? I'm, yes. I'm sure we kind of want to know that a little bit because like you said, uh, the space we have is a little um, tight. Tight, yeah. So we just want to know for sure how many people are going to be there. So we can make sure we have accommodations. And that'll be a kind of exclusive T-shirt because you'll only be able to get it at the Escher. That's correct. Right. That'll be the exclusive oh. version. Yeah. So brilliant. even more That's a great idea, Jeff. How, how did a, you think of that? That's well, fantastic. I don't know. Somebody, a brilliant person kind of uh, came up with that idea. Well, there must be an Einstein somewhere around. <laughs> so thank you, Captain Nick. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. That's all I can think of really that we, uh, we did. It was good. It was good seeing Rick and we enjoyed, uh, uh our meal at Burgatory. Uh, nice place for uh, some gourmet burgers, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get a chance to, uh, frequent while we're in Pittsburgh. And the, the other place is if you've never been to Pittsburgh, you got to go to uh Pramani brothers. Pramani. Yeah. And, uh, I need they to have a place there. like right I mean, really close to where we're staying. Uh, there, the, I have not been to that location. But uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jeff, I've got to interrupt. Yes, I've just had an email from Liz, uh, who's already sent <laughs> her, her message to you saying, "Yes, I want a t-shirt." <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was fast. That was fast. Exactly. All right, Liz Piper. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. While we're doing the show, we actually got that. That's awesome. But she doesn't even know what it'll look like. There you no. go. Yeah, well, you know what? Oh. She doesn't even care. Well, <laughs> I should I should uh, say, um, well, that's all right. I can just handle all this via email. So that's enough. Um, can can I ask one question? Yes, please. What time is everybody going to be there on Friday? Uh, I think I'll be there all day on Friday. Yeah, yeah I'll be there all day. I'll be coming in on Thursday. Uh Gotta look. Hold on. Wednesday or Thursday, I'll be there. Uh, several people are, are arriving on Thursday, and then uh, the remainder, I think, are coming in on Friday. Okay. I get I'm in. I think on Thursday. I changed my flight. Because I'm I'm actually off. I think Thursday and Friday, so I may try to come in and make a cameo depending on the flights for Friday. Awesome. Well, we oh. will definitely welcome you with open arms. Way to go. All right. oh, and while then. Steph tries to some? figure out exactly when she's going to be uh, arriving, we're going to do this, which is the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. Come on, Steph. I love the Java Java and loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, 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 a uh, and the reason why we play that is because we're going to talk about the coffee fund, which is your way to support the show in a financial way, if you have the resources to do so. Again, if you don't, please don't even think about 
sending any money to us because we're going to send it back. Well, maybe. Just don't send it in the first place if you can't afford to. But if you happen to have some extra money hanging around, you know, falling out of your pockets and you want to give it to a good cause or our show, send it to the Airline Pilot Guy Coffee Fund. Information about that is on the Airline Pilot Guy show. Excuse me, the Airline Pilot Guy website, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And since the last program, we have a few who have used the Coffee Fund Classic method via PayPal. Yard Organics. I'm not sure exactly who that is. I have a, I have a feeling I know who that is, but I'm not positive. So I'm just going to say Yard Organics, Adrian Paul, Chris Randall, John Brown, and an anonymous contributor to our show gave us a very, very generous contribution toward the meetup in Pittsburgh. So thank you very much, Mr. slash Mrs. Anonymous person. You know who you are, and we do appreciate it a lot. And uh, you can also become a patron of the show, which is uh, your way to contribute a certain amount of money per episode. And uh, we have different levels of producers. If you send in at least a buck per episode, or $4 or more per month, you can become a producer. And then the next level up is $5 per episode or more per month and that is the executive producer level I don't get a chance to read these too often so I think I'll do that right now so I'm try to find my spreadsheet okay we have Dispatcher Mike Justin Williams Eric Graves John Feldman Robert Fairburn Dr. Bo Abrahamson Christopher Klamek, Justin Breeze, Trevor Moody, Joe Driver, David Collier, Bill Bates. Okay, stand by. I need to push this button again so we have the uh, serenade continuing. Here we go. Um, hopefully I haven't lost my place. Uh, David Collier, I believe I mentioned you. Bill Bates, Ross Gridley, Steve Nass, George Nolly, Ken Hayes, Randall Shepard, David Mullineux. Richard Miller, Larry Gregory, Zebulon Dawson, Jonathan Turfboer, Mike Clark, Liz Piper, Chris and Tanya Weitzel, Andrew Espig, Stephen Wisniewski, Adrian Meacham, Jim G, Mike Kwok, Jim Howard, and Lee Hayden. By the way, um, Lee Hayden, uh, Father Jeremiah. Uh, that one of those last names, Jim Howard. Actually bumped uh, the level from producer to executive producer. Went from $1 to $5 per episode. So thank you very much, Jim, for uh, for, for advancing the uh, or becoming the next level. We do appreciate that. Okay. The uh, $10 level and up is what we call the assistant associate or associate senior executive producers. In other words, you guys are special. We have Eduardo... Suarez, Stephen Ward, Neville Bounds, Michael Benson, and Robert Wolf, And then finally, the top of the uh, leaderboard are senior executive producers, Lucas Diamond and Asa Armin. Thank you so much, all of you, for your contributions, no matter how... How much? It means a big, a big deal to us. We do appreciate it. Again, information about that is available by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com/coffee. 
righty. Let's start with Air Canada suing Airbus for negligence in the 2015 Halifax crash. We talked about that uh, shortly after it happened back in 2015. They were uh, flying an approach into Halifax, and they crashed short of the runway. Uh, the, there was a quite a bit of uh, weather there, snowfall. And uh, so Air Canada now says that Airbus failed to identify shortcomings of the Airbus A320 in a statement of claim filed in a Nova Scotia Supreme Court. The Globe and Mail reports that the claims stated that Airbus failed to provide adequate and or accurate information as to how pilots should correct a deviation in the flight path in circumstances where manual intervention was required. Uh, hmm, I'm thinking maybe that was covered when you were learning how to fly? <laughs> Good point. Us uh, general aviation pilots know nothing about that. Yeah, right. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't it true that we are always supposed to understand and know how to, uh, you know, correct a deviation in the flight path when circumstances um, of manual intervention are required? Yes. I well, I have a question. Don't yes, they have a type rating on the aircraft? Yes, they do. Well, then they should know how to intervene with the aircraft and know how to fly it. Yeah, I think. I, I'm, I'm just trying to work how I they think uh, Jeff has a point. Go ahead, Nick. Well, wait a minute, I'm, wait a minute. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, I have a point. Let her, let her, let her point, tell yeah. us what it is. <laughs> what is. What is my point? <laughs> Steph. Well, this is this is like basic airmanship, right? You, you know, it's it's something that a pilot at any stage of their career should be able to identify and deal with, not just commercial ATP rated pilots. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's the point that Jeff was trying to make. Exactly. So, Nick, Airbus pilot extraordinaire. I, I don't think this is this is exclusively Airbus. I no, think it's this not. applies to, <laughs> to any any damned airplane, any airline pilot, or any pilot come to that flies. Once you get beyond your decision uh, or your minimum descent altitude or decision height, and it would have been an MDA, I mean, there's minimum descent altitude on any of the approaches to this runway because there are only non-precision approaches to this runway, which we all know a non-precision approach gets you into the area from which you can conduct a visual approach onto the end of the runway, mm-hmm. uh, which you have to fly all by yourself because there's no airplane in the world will do a visual landing for you. Um, so, Especially if you're not, you know, completely on heading because a lot of these uh, non-precision approaches will put you at an off heading to the final approach oh, to the runway absolutely so. right i think i think these are generally lined up they're, they're, not, they're not badly offset okay. but they uh, they quit at uh, the best the closest you get to the runway is the localizer approach 830 20 foot break off and the airfield or the runway threshold um, um means that is you are only 357 feet above the uh, runway so but i mean uh, the aircraft's not going to fly that it's last 300 and 70, uh, 57 feet for you. Sorry. So, uh, what do they expect? Uh, they're not, <laughs> yeah, I know it's not like they're doing a cat three auto land. You've got to land it yourself, guys. I'm, am I missing something here? I, apparently, I'm missing mm-hmm. the same thing you're missing because uh, uh, I'm missing it too. I mean, yeah, we're, we're all with you. I think, yeah. it's I just, mean, even the general aviation pilots are going, uh, yeah. Hey, think, Nick, is it? Is there some weird law with the logic on the Airbus? That- yeah, the, the law is don't crash the airplane. That's the only <laughs> law. 
So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking that there is Air Canada is just trying to figure out a way to help pay for this probably very costly accident, and uh, they're trying to you know like just go for somebody that seems to have a lot of money, and uh, I don't yeah. think they're going to be successful in uh, this lawsuit. Let, let me put it this way. If, if you've got the automatics in and you're doing uh, a full RNAV approach, there is an RNAV approach to this, but if you're using uh, horizontal and vertical guidance, uh, the, using the across system to guide you in both planes, uh, when you get to the, uh, the minimum descent altitude, the uh, autopilot will cut out and it will go make all the blaring warnings to indicate that it's cut out. But if you're using, say, a localizer approach where you're letting the aircraft fly you uh, in the lateral sense and you're guiding the aircraft down this uh, imaginary uh, glide slope using a manual mode, so like you're using vertical speed or a, a flight path angle, uh, effectively means you're flying the aircraft vertically through the autopilot. When you get to your uh, MDA, uh, th that will just continue. That won't cut out. They won't automatically cut out. Now, that's the only thing I can think of is that they they left that mode in because it's, it's just designed to relieve you of the difficulty of flying a hand-flown approach, allowing you perhaps to look out the window a bit more. It's not designed to take you to uh, the threshold. Uh, so I, I just don't understand what these guys are on about. But I think you're exactly right, Jeff. They're just trying to uh, find some way to get some money out of someone to help pay for the accident. I was hoping to get a some kind of a statement from Airbus regarding this suit, but maybe they think it's so ridiculous that they're not going to comment um, about it either. Yeah. But, well, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. They say that uh, Air Canada claims that their crew uh, flew the approach correctly. So. Well, they may have know. done it the bit after the approach. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something the approach, went wrong. Is <laughs> the approach is perfect. The landing right. is what sucked. Yeah. It's yeah. a bad landing. <laughs> And oh. I don't think they could use the airplane again, so it was not a great landing at all. It was, mm. but it was a good landing. I think most everybody, I think everybody survived it. But there were everyone there were, walked away. Yeah, yeah. So it was just a, a hard landing. That's all. It was a hard, definitely a hard landing. Yep. All right, and uh, then uh, a hard lesson was learned by a Southwest Airlines pilot uh, on Monday. Uh, this where was it this week? No, I think maybe it been. Yeah, it was this. this no, week. It, it was earlier this week. I okay. think. Okay. Uh, Southwest Airline pilot was uh, arrested with a loaded gun at Albany International Airport, New York. Uh, the inc the incident occurred after a transportation security administration officer at a security checkpoint detected a gun in the unnamed pilot's checked bag. I don't, I don't think they really mean checked bag. I think they mean the bag that was going through the screening at the uh, airport. Right. Just roll aboard. Um, yeah. Yeah. TSA officials know. Part of his hand luggage. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know many, unless you're flying internationally, we don't check luggage if we're flying domestically. And you can check a firearm. Yes. Not loaded, but you can check it and declare it as yep. part of your checked baggage. Yeah. So. We learned that from that uh, horrible incident in Fort Lauderdale where the guy checked his weapon. Correct. And uh, yep. then he claimed it and then loaded it up and started shooting people. Yeah. Probably not a great thing. Terrible. Yeah. Um, so this was a 38 caliber pistol loaded with six bullets. It was con confiscated by the sheriff's department. 
And uh, let's see, Southwest Airlines said a Southwest Airlines first officer was detained at the Albany International Airport security checkpoint before a scheduled flight to Chicago Midway Airport today. The pilot indicated that he was unaware a weapon was in his carry-on bag. Okay. We sincerely apologize to the passengers who were rebooked on other flights and or who experienced a delay before a replacement pilot arrived. We will conduct an internal investigation surrounding the event and continue to work alongside the local authorities as necessary. So, you know, I'm wondering myself, I don't think Southwest has a base at Albany, so he must have been in the middle of a trip, right? Or maybe he was commuting. He he may have overnighted there. They don't have a base there, as far as I know. I would imagine he was either on a layover or perhaps he lives up there and was commuting to somewhere. Yeah. I think he could have been on a layover in Albany. Well, seeing that the flight was delayed, I don't think he was commuting anyway. If he's on a layover, doesn't that mean he had to fly there with the gun? That's the yep. point I'm trying to make. Yeah, so, exactly. exactly. Right. Did he not Oops. realize it when he was in his layover hotel room, when he was unpacking his bag? Oh, look at there. <laughs> I accidentally brought Whoops. my loaded but, weapon. Hang on a Oops. Don't they scan, wouldn't they have scanned his uh, bag uh, when he operated for his layover? Well, not necessarily, because not Nick, not necessarily, we have yeah. something called known crew member here. Tell us about that, Dana. Uh, known crew member is uh, a computer verification uh, program that you basically scan your uh, your ID or a, a key card, uh, a little barcode uh, ID to the transportation TSA, and they are able to verify that you're uh, employed with the airline with both your uh, your uh, company ID and also a government issued ID, which is a cross check. So then you don't, you can go around security um, and uh, never really have your bags ever x-rayed. Also uh, some, some airlines and some facilities have the ability never to go through security before they, uh, you know, in their hubs and, and, and go to the airplane. So, you know, I don't know if, where he's based, whether the, that's the situation where he doesn't have to go even go through known crew member, just goes to the employee parking lot, gets on the bus and is at, in the terminal. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good scenario. Maybe he was there just polishing his gun or something and, you know, realized that he had it and, then he tried to get away with it. Not not a good thing. Or maybe uh, you know somebody planted it in his bag when he was uh, getting off the van. Who knows? That's, what I would claim. that's it. Somebody yeah, that's planted it in it. my bag. So uh, it happens to have uh, all my fingerprints all over it. But I don't know how that happened. But it was not my fault. <laughs> not my yeah. fault. I didn't touch it. Yeah. No. Yeah, so as ooh. Ooh. do you guys hear that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is, Sounds but like it's jet. loud. <laughs> it's yeah, very low. It was very loud right outside my window. Wow. Hey, hey, Steph. Yeah. You, you're hearing things. No <laughs> yeah, more beer for you. What are you talking about? We didn't hear anything. <laughs> that was louder than most jets outside my window. So I uh, don't know what that was. I'll have to look back later. Anyway. Have you got um, a, um, a male friend or even a... Uh, you just got a friend in the Air Force, possibly? Yeah. Like, I'm doing a flyover over Steph's house right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I used to do it when yeah. I was in the Air Force. That was probably Rick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Rick's on his way to Phoenix. So, um, anyway, uh, you know, about all of this, um, I never really understood how you could just accidentally find a gun amongst your possessions. Um, until recently when, uh, amongst my possessions, yeah, Dana's got his there. Um, so, uh, 
I, I think a bunch of you will know that I was, uh, maybe you'll know that I was a volunteer at the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002. And I have a bunch of these. Um, I don't know if you can see what I'm holding up here. Uh, spectator bags, basically, from the opening and closing ceremonies. And I had one that I had given to my mother, who had passed away a couple of years ago. And I retrieved that back from her possessions. And when I was going through it, I found a gun inside <laughs> one of these bags, um, unbeknownst to me that it was going to be there. Uh, so Was it loaded? Um, whoops. Um, you know, I don't remember. We looked at it. <laughs> so I guess I hope you didn't. I hope you didn't drop that loaded gun in the bag like you, the like bag, you just dropped dropped gun, that bag. The gun was not in there anymore, but um, it, it was a surprise, and none of us knew that it was going to be in there. And then we pulled it out, and you know, one of my family members goes, "Oh, we were wondering where that went to." I said, "Really? He um. didn't know." <laughs> Oopsie. I mean, it was a whole, you know, just over, and I mean, decade, we're talking like a decade of like the, the gun had been in someone's possession and then was taken somewhere and someone forgot where they put it and it just got misplaced and somehow it ended up in that bag. So, you know, you have to hope that maybe it was something along those lines, yeah. but I kind of doubt it. It's possible, um, you know, it's, it's... it's possible, but I, if you had ever asked me if I would have found a gun in my possession, that I didn't know about, I've said, you're crazy. Like that would never happen. But, um, you know, people that, you know, people that you know of have guns, have things transfer possessions. And yeah. sometimes you don't know what you end up with. So, yeah, I got it. He borrowed his wife's bag. Didn't realize it was in there. There you right go. Next, it was right next to lip gloss and the eyeshadow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. as long as he wasn't wearing his wife's clothes as well, that's probably fine. <laughs> probably your underwear. <laughs> but in, in my instance, we were able to con finally confirm that the gun had not, in fact, been stolen or misplaced. It was just uh, proper, improperly stored. So I see. Interesting. Someone had put it to the side and forgotten about it, basically. So I'm going to give that guy the benefit of the doubt. He was probably a commuter and it was showing up, didn't really yeah. forgot that he had a gun uh, in his backpack or whatever bag he had. Well, anyway, uh, I'm sure he's going to get a, in a wee bit of trouble or at least, you know, a talk sure. to quite a bit <laughs> from somebody. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder for me to imagine if you're a pilot and you're flying all the time and you pack your own bag, how a gun ends up in your bag loaded or unloaded without your knowledge. That's a little bit more unbelievable to me. I mean, this was, I mean, mine was found like stored away with stuff that we hadn't looked at in years. So it was a little bit of a different situation, but well, let's just you should know where your firearms are. As, as a pilot, the most dangerous thing isn't a gun in the cockpit. The most right. dangerous thing in the cockpit is the person flying the airplane, their right. hands and their brain. Especially I when it's Dana. <laughs> Oh, Bam. no, brainless. That's the, if you talk about me, it's brainless. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's so, it's so hypocritical. You walk through security and they're looking, oh, did you, did you, is that your bag? Yeah, well, it's my bag. Cool. And they look at you and they get the big, tall, you know, liter and a half bottle of water and looking at like, you know, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? I've got my hands and I got my brains. I mean, if I carry a gun with me, the only reason I carry a gun with me is because on the overnights, I'm I'm afraid of getting beaten up by somebody. Well, I'm not. I'm pretty big. But 
be beaten up by somebody and, and, you know, I want to be able to protect myself, you know, it, it, it's crazy or protect the cockpit, but, you know, you have to go through all these special, special classes and, and whatever else I'm not going to go into it too much, but yeah. yeah, let's face it. The most dangerous thing is, is the pilot in the cockpit. And so do you guys think this will put your, your special status uh, in jeopardy, your special security no. status? No, in fact, I think they'll look at this as a probably, of course, I don't know if Albany has the known crew member um, system that probably doesn't, although more and more of the smaller airports are getting the uh, known crew member uh, systems. And by the way, for those of you who are thinking, well, then why, you know, what would stop a pilot from, you know, just loading up a bag full of explosives and, and uh, guns and all, all that. And what stops that is the fact that they do have a system where they randomly choose people going through the known crew member point uh, to go through regular screening. So uh, that's right. their way of ensuring that this is not going to be something that's going to be abused. So, And I mean, no one crew member can be closed too, and you, they can yeah. direct people back through regular screening. I saw okay. that happen last night. Well, look so. at look look at the flight attendant in LA that they had to chase down that was going to go through known crew member and she it was like she had two kilos or something of heroin or something like that. Cocaine, I think. Cocaine, yeah, yeah something like that. So, yeah, there there is no, it you know as Jeff said, there is there's no guarantee you're going to get through uh, unscathed. So you know if you're in in civilian clothes, a bottle of water just like this, you're not getting through with it. And you're right. in civilian clothes even. Or your soup that you brought for dinner. Yeah, or your soup or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever else. So, you know, there are levels of protection. There there was an instance, however, uh, with the employee parking lot that uh, there were two ramp personnel that were smuggling guns to New York. And that has absolutely changed uh, the security procedures at uh, ACME. Um, for the better and for the worst. I mean, you have to get there a little earlier, and now they're putting in a whole new security system for uh, uh, security huts that they're going to make everybody go through. So, anyways, this is my opinion on it. Well, now it's time for the best part of the show. We call it Your Feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's start with Bionic Matt. Matt. He says, uh, howdy all, it's been a while since I sent in any feedback. While listening to the talk on the most recent podcast about simulators, I thought of the way that I use them. Now, being the airplane junkie that I am, and not having a certificate at all, I use it to feed the beast and fly when I can. This can come in handy as I recover from my many knee surgeries. I guess this is why he calls himself Bion- Bionic Matt. Uh, the next one will be a doozy, a partial knee replacement, and some bone cutting, too. So I anticipate a ton of unloggable time. I also use flight sims in my physics class to help teach the ideas of thrust, lift, weight, and drag. As a new teacher, I try to use anything at my disposal to get these into my kids' heads. And since we are so close to the Boeing factories, it seems to help. On another note... I'm still waiting to hear from Rick on when he is coming to Kilo Papa Alpha Echo. I believe that's a pain field in uh, Seattle. Uh, in the big boy, I would give my right leg to see the inside of that thing. I do, after all, live only five miles from the field and routinely take my five-year-old over there to watch him come in. I hope all is well. And then I really hate to read the way he ended his letter. Roll damn Tide. Yeah, well, I have one thing for you, Bionic <laughs> Matt. War Eagle. <laughs> uh, let's see. And he also, um, 
sent in another, I combined it with another piece of feedback that he sent in. Uh, he said, I've had the great misfortune of having a couple of careers in my life. These have included being an army medic, truck driver, social worker, and now training to be a high school science teacher. And we just talked about that in the previous message. Uh, because combat apparently wasn't hard enough. <laughs> in all of these, there is a pretty high burnout rate. I know that some of y'all, Jeff and Nick, have been flying for a time measured in decades. How do you keep that passion up? By listening to the show, it's very apparent that you still love what you do. How do you do this? I'm sure that there are days when that you can't wait to get on the ground, yes, or don't even want to take off at all. How do you specifically avoid the burnout? On another note, it's getting kind of lonely up here in the Pacific Northwest. I know Acme doesn't fly the Mad Dog up, up here. Actually, we do. I think we fly into Portland, Oregon. Uh, but Acme Red is supposed to be starting uh, routing up this way. Nick, if and when you make it up here, let me know. And I'll throw some pig in the smoker. Keep the blue side up. Bionic map. So, um, what what about that, Nick? Uh, they're, they're probably going to use the bin liner on that one, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Northwest. Now, uh, give me a city up there. Would that be Seattle? I think he's talking about Seattle area. Seattle, yeah. yeah. Pain, I Seattle mean, it's close area. to Painfield, so that's Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the panty line, I'm sorry, the bin liner is indeed uh, started that route. In fact, it's now going. It's now going up there. And so, uh, but uh, you never know, I might get the 600 onto it, uh, you know, before I retire. That would be real nice. Uh, I was very disappointed we didn't get it, actually. I was really hoping uh, we would. But, um, um, you know, well, there you go. That's the way it, it rolls. And uh, how do we keep up our passion for the job? Well, um, I have to say that uh, it is pretty hard, particularly in the long haul world, because uh, uh, as you get older, it does become uh, a bit of a grind. And um, there's not a lot of excitement in the flying unless you happen to have a major problem or the weather's really rather iffy. Um, so I, I guess we all have a just we have a basic love of what we do. And uh, I have to uh, thank Jeff very much indeed for reigniting my uh, passion to a certain extent because he allowed me to become part of the crew. And speaking to all you fantastic people who write in or in the chat room, uh, send us messages all the time, uh, meet us um, in real life, uh, that uh, listening to your enthusiasm, your huge enthusiasm, for aviation and your uh, genuine admiration and appreciation for the job we do um, has actually reignited my passion a great deal for the job. So uh, it's much easier now to cope with those long trips. And because I know that, uh, you know, at least once a week, I'll get to chat to a whole bunch of people who are fascinated by what I do. And uh, I enjoy that very much indeed. I mean, yeah, I couldn't have said it better, Nick. Um, the fact that you all listening to the show, you who download it, watch it on YouTube, uh, participate in the chat room. Uh, you know, we have a, a wonderful social community on Twitter and Facebook. And your passion for the world of aviation and specifically what we do in our part of it, our very small part of it, that really gives us the motivation and passion. Uh, it kind of rejuvenates or reignites the, the passion that we had when we first started getting into this. But we are very fortunate, I must say, uh, that this is the kind of job that, even on a bad day, it's a great job. Uh, now, there are times, as you mentioned, where you know I kind of wish that I was on the ground or I don't want to take off, and almost 
I'd say 99.9% of the time, it has something to do with weather. That's the part of this job that actually, you know, makes it uh, kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it it, um, it gives you pause, uh, makes you want to be somewhere else doing something else. But on the other hand, that's what makes it interesting as well. I mean, you know, some, some people say, well, you know, if you fly the same routes day after day, you always go up to New York and Fort Lauderdale and Miami and Pittsburgh and all these different places, and doesn't it get boring? Well, if the weather was always the same, then I'd say, yeah, probably would be boring, but the weather is never never the same. It's always throwing a, a new challenge out there to us. So in a way, weather is one of the most dreadful things about this job, but it's also one of the things I think that makes the job kind of exciting. Um, yeah, it 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 uh, breaks you of complacency. Yeah. Because if you sit there and you're complacent in the weather, boy, I'll tell you what, it's it's going to get ugly real quick. You know, in in you know, pilot's best week is always the best week when you come home and say, you know, how was your week? Nothing eventful happened. That's perfect. That's the way you want it. It's always going to be just a nice, relaxing. I think steps both fall off the seat. I was just, I, I am trying to control my, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh. And it's not because of staff. It's because. Off the seat. I, I had to turn on the fan because it's like a hundred degrees in this office. Uh huh. I wonder why. Uh, Anyways. Dana, Dana sent something in our private chat. <laughs> a picture that's me cracking up. <laughs> okay. Well, there's that too. But, uh, Irish yoga. Yeah. Oh, that got is, it. Wait. So I, I, I wish there was a way for us to share that with everybody. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Um, yeah. Getting back to the uh, the comment about passion and uh, and really we owe it all to you, um, all to you all uh, who listen to the show and and contribute uh, so much to it. So thank you for that. And, uh, and as a, again, um, this is really the only job that I've had where I don't feel like a, a, like a sick feeling in my stomach that I have to go to work. It's like, oh, I get to go to work. I look forward to going to work. So anyway, what do you, how about you, Dana? Oh, it's, it's, it's the best part-time job in the world. I mean, oh, now stop it. <laughs> no, stop it. It's 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 a lot of work. Uh, when you're at work, you're gone, and, and you're gone for how many ever days you're gone for. Like I just came back from a four day trip, but you know, I, 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 unless it's it's really challenging, it beats me up pretty bad. Which is you know usually only when the weather gets pretty bad or the you know the trip itself is kind of lousy. Uh, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. Every day, I'm just like Jeff. I'm probably probably can speak for Nick too. Um, who's having a nice sip of cold brewski. Um, yeah, but I don't sound like you. No, I don't sound like you. But <laughs> I, 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 am an, I am an English colonist because I did come from Boston, So, and we did throw the tea over, overboard. So. Well, thank yeah, goodness. I, I, none, don't none, get upset about that. None of us sound like anybody else, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, honestly, it's, 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 it, it's truly a, an absolute honor because unlike Nick and unlike uh, uh, Jeff, um, I, in a different way, they pay for it in their own way. And that's blood, sweat and tears and being you know involved with the military. I pay with it, with the uh, hard labor and, and, and working, uh, you know, long hours for jobs and, and put myself all the way through flying. So I have, you know, I, just like they do I have real true appreciation 
for what I get to do every day. And, and it's, it's, it's looking outside of the cockpit. And today I had a little two year old kid that want to come in and push buttons first flight ever. I mean, it's just, it's stuff like that. That just makes this job so awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just uh, fun. It, it's just fun and it's challenging and it's rewarding. And, you know, if you, if uh, the old adage is if you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you can't stand what you're doing anymore, then you need, need to change it. Um, and I never had that problem. Of course, I do have the problem that the glass company comes in every morning after I look in the mirror to replace the glass because oh, it breaks every time. So that is not but true. that's okay. Oh, you're a good looking guy and we love you, man. Speaking I don't and, oh, Tom, Tom behind me, right? That's what you're talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I don't love him. Tom looks. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's so. move on. Um, All right, this, good enough. This is from uh, Big Ron, not so Big Ron. That uh, is, he sent us a link um, to an article in Sky uh, News.Sky.com. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> Okay. We're, I, we're gonna, I don't know. We're going to continue. <laughs> There's the, only the, one the person chat, the, it's, a, it's a chat room. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'll mute it. Okay. Uh, pilot's poor English risks serious accident in UK skies, warns the CAA. And among the incidents reported was one involving confusion over left and right while approaching Manchester Airport. Uh, The investigation carried out on behalf of the CAA, the Civil Aviation Authority, found there were hundreds of incidents of miscommunication involving commercial aircraft in UK airspace over an 18-month period. In one incident, a pilot taxied onto a runway at a Midlands airport without permission. Another mid-air event involved confusion over left and right on an approach to Manchester Airport. Uh, Anyway, so it goes on talking about the... uh, the research that they did regarding this, and of course they have a picture of Harrison Ford, poor guy, uh, regarding his uh, near-miss landing error. Of course it wasn't that, I mean, well, it was serious. He landed on a taxiway and flew over the top of a an American Airlines jet, but uh, I, I don't think it was, I think it was a little bit blown out of proportion. But um, I think that uh, somewhere here in this article, I thought I meant to uh, highlight it. I'm trying to find it right now. They said that in, in the report, um, it found that there were enough non-UK pilots and controllers with below standard English skills to give grounds to suspect cheating on aviation English exams. Pilots and controllers are required to gain a level four qualification in English from the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO. In one country, candidates who started with no English, English skills received their certificates after 10 days tuition, an impossible feat according to one of the report's contributors. So it does sound like there might be a little bit of cheating going on out there. Of course, you know, many people actually listen, believe it or not, <laughs> to this show to uh, improve their English skills. And uh, Somehow they think our English is representative of what they might hear in the real world. I, uh, yeah, which, isn't that crazy? <laughs> in the U.S., perhaps. Yeah. Well, Good point. I, but we do talk a lot about aviation-related stuff here, so I can see why listening to our show, since we're going to talk about ILS and you know various kinds of technology involved in you know the performance of our job, I can understand that this might be a good you know source or resource for uh, folks who are 
trying to maintain their English skills or learn, you know, better English. Well, so well can... certainly real world use of the language. Yes, right. Jeff, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think we're going to go on to something else now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it, all I all I do when I hear this uh, story about language skills is remember the uh, Mexican seven hundred seven that crashed uh, short of the oh, runway at JFK. Actually, it was a, a Colombian. Um, Colombian. Colombian. My yes. Apologies. Yeah. My apologies, Mexico. Please don't ban me yeah. from your country. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, so you, if you know the story well, tell it, Jeff, because uh, it was it was a, a language skills were a big factor. Uh, well, you know. I don't know all the, you know, the minute details in this, but basically they ran out of fuel and they did not, they weren't able to communicate clearly to the controllers at Kennedy, uh, their, their very dire fuel state, uh, because of partially because of their, um, uh, lack of English skills and, uh, they never actually declared a fuel emergency at all. So the controllers didn't realize, you know, how, how bad a, situation they were in and they actually flamed out all of the engines and crashed or at least a couple of them and uh, crashed short of the runway at kennedy but uh, please fill in any holes there captain nick or not and i'm talking, <laughs> talking about holes in my story and not any other thing action now I'll, I'll back you up on that you get it right okay <laughs> it's very simple <laughs> you got it right the, the only thing mm -hmm. i was going to add jeff was that the first officer was a quiet chap who wasn't very assertive uh and uh, we know that the new york air traffickers can be uh when particularly when they're under pressure as they were in this night because it was very bad weather um were not dealing with him and trying to work out what was wrong with him they were being quite abrupt with him uh and his captain was also uh, was the non-english speaking pilot there that was also giving him grief in the other ear because the captain was screaming at him saying we're short of fuel you've got to tell them and between the the controller and the captain this first officer the only bloke on the flight deck who could speak english properly mm. was becoming finding it harder and harder to communicate effectively with anybody so that was uh, the crux of the the problem yeah so as we say over and over again on the show communication is so important in just about every aspect of our lives and uh, it can be deadly um, if you're not careful so um, moving on Larry the geezer sent in a very interesting article and this is the kind of thing that I think that uh, Rick would, uh, would would look at download and and read from top to bottom every single page because it's super technical it's a, um, mm -hmm. a report on the shimmy of aircraft main landing gears and uh, this is a uh, I believe a German paper and let's see Larry says love the show always a source of keeping up with issues in aviation although I practice as an electrical engineer my studies were in engineering physics wow Larry must be very smart so when the topic of landing gear shimmy was mentioned, my ears perked up. First thing that came to mind was the old familiar Nyquist, Nyquist plot. I mean, that's the first thing that I think of, too. Um, what's a Nyquist plot? The what? Nyquist plot. <laughs> it's yeah, apparently cool. this graph that uh, is, is in... Yes, it is. It says a Nyquist plot for the baseline system and baseline including shimmy damper. Uh, v asterisk equal 200K asterisk equal 0 0.03 or 0 0.3 and C 
uh, sub SD equals three. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> Shoot. Of course. Who yeah, doesn't know course. that? I mean, that was just, I mean, that's just like basics. <laughs> I mean, that's basic algebra. I mean, lift, yeah. thrust, you know, gravity and... Whatever that drag. equation was that you just rattled off. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just like that. Anyway, says so section 5.6 discusses in detail the nonlinear behavior of the shimmy damper, which clearly explains what Miami slash Alaska Rick would describe were he available. Talons, Douglas. <laughs> 5.6. Hold on. I'm scrolling. Scrolling. Uh, 4.3. What? 5.6? 5.6. Yes. Are you? Uh... 5.1. Shock absorbers. Oh, 5.2. Landing gear flexibility. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. You're almost there. It gets really good this point. When, you, when you get five point four friction. friction. Yeah, when you get down to five point six, uh, I mean, it's like five you can't put it down. Five frequency. Uh, what? Something about frequencies and mode shapes. Is this is this how you measure the needles before you? Uh, I passed five point six. Hold on. Wait. Back five point six. Yeah. Non linear non linear behavior of the shimmy damper. Yes. In section 3.6, the introduction of a linear shimmy damper. I can't read. Uh, <laughs> I think you can read. It's just you can't speak. <laughs> yeah. I can read. I just can't speak right now. Uh, in section 3.6, the introduction of a linear shimmy damper to improve the shimmy damp shimmy state. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a long uh, Wait, Let me give you some glasses so you can yeah, see now. I, th I think the most important was discussed. This shimmy dampers can be found on the main landing gears of, for example, the Boeing 737, Boeing, uh, no, sorry, Airbus A320, McDonnell Douglas MD80, and Fokker 100. The shimmy damper is installed at the apex joint, see figure 1.2, and operates in series with the torque links. The shimmy dampers in use on various aircraft have a nonlinear spring and damping characteristic. The internal layout of the shimmy damper is illustrated in some figure that I'm never going to find. Uh, the centering springs, yeah, we should just stop because then it just goes into all of the I think this is the first time that I've uh, played crickets for, uh, for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, re just reading through it, it almost sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what this is saying. Um, uh, well, I think uh, is there like a conclusion here somewhere that I could read out? I think that uh, the conclusion, or actually the best part of this article, and <laughs> was, the end? Oh, you just, just had the best part. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being very, very serious here. The nonlinear shimmy damper characteristics may be linear, linearized using a harmonic balance. A sinusoidal input signal will be assumed. X T equals A sub M sine. Mm -hmm. Cotangent. Mm -hmm. No, wait a minute. That's not right. Anyway, everyone knows you, they're Sokotoa, right? Like Sokotoa, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. S uh, sine uh, uh, opposite over tangent. No, wait. So, well, anyway, I used to know it. That's trigonometry. I knew it in eighth grade. Yeah. And I have long since forgotten well anyway this is a, a it's a very uh, gripping article that you should read uh, <laughs> it gripped me it will, we'll, we'll include this in the show notes if you want to download it yourself uh, the, uh, the best bit of this entire article is the quote uh, on about page i don't know 10 it says those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it it does say that actually yes, it does. um 
So she may I not don't remember know what tomorrow morning. Past they're asking us to <laughs> I don't remember any of this from my past. No. Just it actually, when it starts Especially, off, it, it is actually, I did read some of the, like the introduction is kind of interesting of talking about the design requirement, you know, the uh, the conundrum that aircraft manufacturers have uh, with commercial jet transports, you know, having to uh, build a system to uh, support a lot of weight and a lot of pressures and stresses on landings, uh, but make it so that it doesn't consume so much of the mass of the aircraft. And so... When you're making something six to ten percent of the aircraft mass to be able to do all the, uh, you know, high stress, uh, all that kind of stuff for the airplane is, is pretty, pretty amazing, actually, when you think of it. kind of an engineering feat. And uh, it goes into a lot of detail here. So Anywho. did you read Section 5.5 on eigenfrequencies and mode shapes? Yeah. And actually, you know it's... what? That that kind of put me to sleep. <laughs> so. All right. If you Fair want. Enough. To read it yourself, we'll put a no. link to this in the. No, not you, Steph. Please don't read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> By the way, I just thought yeah. I'd mention, Jeff, that I had <laughs> an error in equation 3.4. Did you? Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, they've uh, written R cos theta wrong. It should be R sine or R sin theta, depending on how you're educated. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess you need to contact these folks and uh, correct them. Well, no, they noticed it themselves. It's at the end under the document history. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad you noticed it too. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fascinating. Thank you very much, Steph, for reading <laughs> some of the, the an excerpt uh, from the you're uh, welcome. from the article. I hope that was intelligible. Very helpful. It very, was certainly humorous. <laughs> it was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. This might be helpful. Mark. Oh wait, I can answer this one. I can I can actually have answers to this one. Okay, so go ahead. Good. That's why I thought yes. I'd go with that one next. Uh, yes. Well, it happens to be the one that's chronologically next as well. Uh, uh -huh. Mark says, "Thanks for the thoroughly enjoyable shows. I was surprised to hear Doctor Steph say that you're supposed to chuck the emergency exit door out of the aircraft. I recall the last yes. time. Yes. I recall okay, the last time I looked at an air uh, exit row safety card." On an American widebody, don't remember the exact aircraft type, it said to place the door inside the aircraft. After assuring the flight attendant that I would that I would follow the instructions, I asked out of curiosity, why not jettison the door? She didn't know the reason, but we thought it was probably for the safety of anyone who'd exited, who already no, exited. No, they're aircraft. expensive doors. You can't yeah, just you want throw to keep those. them away. You know? <laughs> so uh, do pilots know how to operate uh. all the passenger gear in the back? Of course, we know how to operate everything. <laughs> Uh, or does the procedure vary from plane to plane? If so, we'd better be sure to read those cards. Couldn't have said it better. So what do you have to say about this, Dr. Steph? So um, the reference I was making was uh, specific to the CRJ-200 because I had been sitting in the exit row of that particular aircraft and having read the instructions for operation of the emergency overwing exit door or portal, um, it clearly showed that you, you know, as you remove the door, it was a kind of pull from the top and bottom so that the door came in towards you and then it was removed to the outside of the aircraft is what the pictures showed. Um, so it kind of just looks like you pull it so that you can undo the plug type fitting and then the door goes outside the aircraft, away from the aircraft uh, so it's not in the way of anybody so that everyone can egress through that exit without something impeding their way, let alone a, you know, 
even though it's a smallish door, you don't really want that in the way of people who are trying to get out through that exit. So that's what the case was on the CRJ 200. That's what I clearly remember. After I read this email, I had second thoughts about it. I said, was it really the case that I was supposed to remove the door and then, you know, kind of chuck it through the opening and away from the aircraft so that people could get past it? Um, so I sent off a quick text message to a friend of mine who is a first officer on a uh, Embraer 145, which is a similar sized aircraft, about 50 passengers. And she came back to me immediately and said, um, it's a good question. I will double check with that and just make sure. And she got back to me and said, yes, in fact, I'm reading it right here. Uh, our emergency procedures show that the door is to be thrown out of the window. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I was completely incorrect in that. And then last, no, not last night, the night before when I was flying a 737-300 series aircraft, um, again, their emergency aircraft procedures showed that the door is to be overwing exit door is to be removed and then placed outside of the aircraft. So those doors weigh between anywhere between, I think, 30 and 50 pounds or 30 and 50 kilos, something, you know, not completely unreasonable. You should be able to remove it and uh, get it to be placed outside the aircraft somewhere. So it's not in the way of the passengers who are trying to exit through that exit door. Um, I did watch a couple of uh, YouTube videos that show training procedures where the door is placed inside the aircraft back on the row of seats in the exit row. But I get the suspicion that this was just for training purposes and that in the event of an actual, an actual emergency, you would actually remove the door and then um, get it outside the aircraft and away from passengers. So that's not blocking the exit in any way, shape or form. So. Yeah, I, think I don't know really, what you all have to say about that. I think it really depends on the uh, aircraft type. Uh, right. There, there it it probably that, does. So every time I go into an airplane that uh, is not the airplane that I fly, I pull out that safety card, which we're all familiar with, and I look and see, especially if I'm in the exit row and I'm going to be expected to know what to do with the door uh, or the, the the hatch or whatever you want to call it, uh, if, it if required in an emergency evacuation. And sometimes it says to actually keep it inside the airplane. And others say mm -hmm. to throw it out the window. So that's the reason why you should read the card. Yeah. Yeah. If you're sitting in that exit row as the flight attendants are going through their safety briefing and they direct you to read that card, read it. Be familiar with how the door works. You can always ask them questions if you have questions about it. Like uh, Jeff and Dana said, it may differ from aircraft type to aircraft type. So yeah. you want to know what's applicable in your scenario. So is there anything else to be said about the uh, exit door feedback? It's an exit only. Not, not unless you guys want to add something to what I already said. So How could we? Exactly. We it was it perfect, all. Steph. Yes. Perfect. All right. Let's see. Where are we in the show here? Well, you know what? It might be time for us to listen to the latest installment of Plane Tales. The old pilot's plain tales. The current Andy Anderson interviews conclude as his wartime experience on Sunderland's with number 10 squadron, Royal Australian Air Force, comes to an end. The way the U-boats used to uh, attack the convoys was that um, Having gathered together in these wolf packs and uh, attacked the 
squadron on the first night. They would then submerge to great depths and creep out of the area completely. And they would stay at great depth, not um, found by the Navy, of course, until the convoy or what's left of it has disappeared in the distance. And then they would surface. Now, the convoy would be travelling at, say, eight knots, and the U-boat was quite capable of doing 20 knots on the surface with its diesel engines. It could only do three knots under the water on its electric engines. So when they were uh, on the surface again, they'd open up the taps and chase the convoy. They would pass the convoy, uh, say, 20 or 30 miles away from it, you know, to the side of it, and uh, try and position themselves well in front of the, uh, the convoy and then wait for evening when they would be in the position to make their second attack. That might go on for three nights until they either ran out of, of uh, torpedoes or they ran out of fuel and then they would have to retreat to their bases on the west coast of France to, well, I presume they had their rest and, and re- refurbished the, the U-boat and then came out and tried again. So our job in part was to try and catch them on the way back through the Bay of Biscay. A U-boat on the surface, as I said, can do 20 knots. Underneath the water, it was useless. It could only do about three knots. So with the advent of 1943, when the whole situation began to turn, the idea was to flood the area as much as possible with aircraft that would keep these wretched things under the water where they were pretty useless. And with the advent of the Liberator, the long-range liberator that, that uh, closed the gap between the Americas and uh, Europe, then the whole situation gradually began to, began to turn. Another story I'd like to tell you is um, when, when uh, the Australian government a few years back decided to send a a few guys across to the United Kingdom to celebrate the Battle of the Atlantic, which to most people was a bit of a mystery. One of the uh, jobs we had to do was to do a march through Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool was a great centre of the Royal Navy and therefore it was quite correct for us to have this big march through Liverpool. So what was left of a few Merchant Navy guys and uh, Australians and various other people, we marched through the streets. While I was there, I was shown a monument uh, uh, of a fellow called Captain Johnny Walker. Nothing to do with whiskey. This monument was for a Royal Naval captain who suggested to the Royal Navy that a way of uh, defeating the U-boats was to have a small, very fast 
little squadron of, uh, of ships that could get out to the convoys when they reported doing um, wolf packs there. And uh, even though it might take a couple of days, they could still be quite effective if the U-boats were still operating. The technique that uh, this Captain Johnny Walker used was to use his Aztec effectively. For those who may not be aware, Aztec, or sonar as it was called by the Americans, was an underwater detection system developed during the war which relied on bouncing sound waves off a target vessel. A ping was sent out by the emitting equipment and the operator then listened for the returning sound wave being bounced off the hard body of a uh, submarine or possibly a whale or possibly the seabed. It was a great system but of course it could be heard by the uh, U-boat, they would therefore know that they were liable to be detected. The word ASDIC itself is not an exact acronym and is believed to have been uh, related to the anti-submarine division. If one of his uh, very fast ships contacted a a U-boat using ASDIC, it would immediately stop. It would not approach the U-boat. Now, the reason for this was it would lull the U-boat captain into thinking, well, he hasn't really picked me up. The sound of the the noise of the Aztec has not increased as it would if he got closer and closer. So, therefore, I'm perfectly safe at depth. But he wasn't because the technique was for the other ships, and he had another three, were to shut off their Aztec, and then the first ship would direct them to the point where the U-boat was. And, of course, the U-boat commander would not be aware that they were approaching him because he wasn't hearing any Aztec uh, noises echoing on, you know, off, off his uh, U-boat. When they got over the area where the first ship uh, indicated the U-boat was, they would then circle that area and drop huge numbers of of, uh, depth charges. Johnny Walker's little squadron sank 23 U-boats and they just worked themselves, I was going to say to death, but... You know, I shouldn't because it's absolutely true what happened. Uh, In 1944, Johnny Walker had accumulated four DSOs. Now, people have have done brave things and collected a uh, DSO, but to have presented with four of them was never, ever known before in any of the services. In 1944, Captain Johnny Walker died of exhaustion. So we can literally say that he he gave his life to try and defeat the U-boats. So that's a little off offside. Um, so to wind up this uh, rather lengthy. Uh, talk I've I've given you know they they do say that 
old guys become very garrulous and that's probably what has happened to me. To wind it all up, um, towards the end of the war, we could see that uh, these aeroplanes that, or flying boats that we owned, or we thought we owned, would be flown back to Australia. So there was a great competition among the skippers and crews as to who would be selected to fly these aircraft back to Australia. So at the end of the war, we made all the preparations necessary, including our um, injections and uh, which route we would take and how long it would take. And we did flying tests and and, uh, consumption tests on our new Mark V Sunderlands, all in preparation for this wonderful day when we would land in the Swan River in Perth which was my hometown, and uh, and then fly on to other uh, capital cities, and uh, and of course, what what greater thing to happen to anyone to do that? So we were all very anxious, and all we needed was the acceptance from the Australian government that uh, that we would be able to fly these aircraft home. We must have waited for three three months after the end of the war before the Australian government made up their mind. And then we were told by the CO that we were not going to fly our aircraft back to Australia. And the reason given was that the cost of the original Mark I Sunderlands that the Australians purchased and the cost of the Mark V Sunderlands, which they now were using because of the British government replacing aircraft that were either shot down or superseded by other better models of the same aircraft, the difference in cost between the two was so vast that uh, the Australian government decided it wasn't worth the, the money. So much to our deep regret, these aircraft were flown up to um, to Scotland, and the Royal Navy took them out and uh, and let them loose, and then they sank them with their gunfire. So it was a very sad day for the uh, for the uh, squadron. Uh, we were then placed on ships, and eventually we returned to Australia. And that was the beginning of 1946 when I finally got back to Australia. This made a a big influence on the rest of my life because I was a bit well behind the remainder, the other Australian pilots who wanted to continue flying because they were back and demobilised, having operated in um, in the islands north of Perth north of Australia, you know, they were, they were home and, and demobbed fairly early so they could apply for commercial pilots' jobs. So that just about completes it unless I went on to commercial flying, which I think I will not at the time because I've, I've used up an awful lot of your time chatting away.
So thank you very much for listening. At the age of 94, and he is the sole surviving wartime pilot from the Royal Australian Air Force's 10th Squadron. He is a Knight of the Legion of Honor and a Fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society. I would like to add my deep thanks for the opportunity to record his personal memories. Wow. It, it always uh, just amazes me how how uh, clear speaking and clear thinking your father is at that age. I mean, that's just, uh, he's an amazing person and a knight. Wow. That's even real, more impressive. <laughs> well, he's so articulate, you know, you just really feel like you're there in those stories. So yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm a lucky man to have a father like that and to have had the chance to, uh, listen to him tell those tales. So uh, uh, it wasn't something he did when we were kids. Uh, so it's only in the last few years has he uh, um, sp spoken about his life. So uh, I'm delighted that I had the chance to capture that. Well, I bet you are. And we're delighted that we know you and you were able to record this so that we could uh, benefit from hearing him. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, and uh, and I really appreciate some of the comments the uh, listeners have made on previous um, plain tales that uh, my father was on, and uh, uh, the, some of them have been very complimentary. And I've been sure I I, I have um, passed them all on to him, and he has written back thanking me and thanking everyone else and saying that uh, his achievement in the war was not great. It, it but, now he's one of the few left who can tell uh, the stories. Um, he uh, really appreciates everyone's comments. He's unbelievable. Yep. We know where you get it from, Rick. And Nick. <laughs> or Nick. <laughs> yeah, that was Nick. That was, you are. That was nearly uh, a lovely compliment. Well, <laughs> <laughs> nearly. I just nearly saw Rick someplace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in and Rick somewhere, so I'm well, sorry, Nick. As many more as we gather, we'll be certainly willing to listen to. Um, no, I, no, I quite understand that, and thank you very much. Uh, Steph's got an excuse tonight, but uh, I think you're sober, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, the only thing I've had to drink is the sunny water. I don't think that's spiked. So. There must be something I'm, in your water. <laughs> it must be, because I'm, I'm laying completely off alcohol. Give me some of that. <laughs> For, forever no but nick like i said we we really appreciate those and as many more stories as you can get from your father from andy we will love to hear them they're awesome so uh, well, thank as, you for that. As long as he hangs around, uh, I will keep popping out there, and I'll take my recording equipment with me every time. So uh, hopefully, we'll have a few more in the future. But next week, it'll be back to something uh, you know, uh, dreamt up or from history, or we'll we'll see what comes up. You know, that was not an sure. easy trip for for Nick to take to uh, visit his father in uh, Western or West Australia. So um, I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to benefit from that trip that you took. That uh, was was not the easiest for you, but no, it wasn't. Uh, the old, uh, the old man uh, is not in the best of health, so uh, I felt it was time to get out there and uh, just touch base again. But uh, um, I hear from uh, his lovely wife Carol that he's perking up, and um, you know uh, he's getting about some more. Uh, so Excellent. we expect him to last for 
as many more years, I'm sure. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, well, look forward to hearing more interviews from him then. Thanks. Oh, we have we have some breaking news. It's not playing. Okay, this was sent in by Big Ron. And Ireland's worst air disaster occurred last night when a small four-seater plane crashed into a cemetery. Irish search and rescue workers have recovered 987 bodies so far, but they expect that number to climb as digging continues into the night. Okay, so that's a joke. Okay, where's the where's the track? Where's the, where's the into the cemetery? They're that looking. Was, they're yeah. they're finding the bodies of the yeah, cemetery. They, yes. Yeah, they, okay. it was a small little single-engine airplane. That crashed into a sem- Do I have to explain this? No. Well, I you've think got, so. Yeah. Look at the picture. That yeah, makes well, it easier. I, yeah, I'm looking at the picture. I mean, the, pic- else the picture it. looks horrific, and you know, thoughts and prayers to all those on board. But really, 987 <laughs> bodies in the cemetery. That's uh, that's that's it, Jeff. You've saw the zombie well apocalypse. I think that maybe it had something to do with my poor delivery. I'm sorry. <laughs> So uh, let's see. Maybe I could I could try that again. Oh, um, we got it. Okay, we got it. Second attempt. You could do a second attempt. It's okay. Yeah, I'm Go trying ahead. to find my laugh track so that I'll, that might help me. I out. think the first attempt was probably going to be the funniest you'll ever make. <laughs> <laughs> now you need to slap the knee. Yeah, yeah. Slap on the knee. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's enough. All right. Okay. Stop, please. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you, Big Ron, for your humor. I don't think that's a real breaking news article, but I thought we'd throw that in there anyway. Um, this was from uh, somebody named Nick. Sent us the. Oh, wait a minute. This is from Nick <laughs> Anderson. Uh, oh, this uh, sent us an article regarding uh, doctors. Uh, let's Does see, Nick care to read the uh, title he put on this article? Yeah. What? Uh, what? What? What is the? How to, go ahead, Nick. Go take the take it away, please. An article I spotted in the Times that might be good for staff to talk about from Captain Nick. <laughs> what in the hell did he say? Well, see, he, he typed in all caps, and so when you do that, it's like you're yelling, <laughs> you're screaming something. <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm inter- I, you've caught my attention. Uh, what are we discussing? Call for doctors Here's- on all flights after farce. Heart attack something- farce, yes. Oh. Okay. And it goes to small print, which you may not be able all to right. focus on right now. <laughs> Would I will do my best here. Would you like uh, me to read it, Steph? Or, uh, or, no, no, no. I'll, well, I'll start. And if okay. I fail miserably, you can jump in at any time. Okay. okay. Right. So airlines have been urged to carry medics on all long-haul flights after an off-duty uh, British doctor. Go ahead. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even that up in the first sentence. I didn't even get through the first sentence. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Uh, <laughs> let's start over for those playing along at home. Um, airlines have been urged to carry medics on all long-haul flights after an off-duty British doctor said that she had inadequate equipment to treat a passenger who had suffered a possible mild heart attack. Denise Milford, a GP from Winchester, said that she treated the patient on the cabin floor while the staff slept on business class seats, which fold down as beds. 
She claimed that pilots refused to land the aircraft for more than five hours. The whole thing was a farce. They can't just rely on volunteers. It's too hit or miss for a long fall, long haul flight. Dr. Milford, who has 24 years experience, was on a KLM flight from Dar es Salaam in Tanzania to Schiphol, Amsterdam, on Monday night. She said an unnamed man, an Italian missionary, was sweating, appeared pale, and had dangerously low blood pressure and was suffering from dizziness and nausea. The GP said that she had to help the man on the floor of the plane's galley next to an exit because staff said no business class seats were available. She told the Times that pilots were asked to consider landing about three hours into the eight and a half hour flight after the man's condition deteriorated. However, she said that the airline refused after taking advice from its own medical expert, leaving her to treat him on the floor with no seatbelt, including during a bout of severe turbulence. She said that he was moved to a business class seat only as the plane was coming into land, and at least one had been occupied by airline staff during the flight. Dr. Milford said that the plane's equipment was inadequate, with the stethoscope so poor that it could not be used to listen to his heart. The whole thing was a farce, she added. She called for all long-haul flights to have paid doctors or paramedics on board and urged the Department of Health to investigate the issue. An estimated 44,000 mid-flight medical emergencies take place worldwide each year. They should have a paramedic or a doctor available. She said they have a duty of care. They can't just rely on volunteers. It is too hit or miss for a long-haul flight. The airline insisted that it had followed medical protocol and rejected Dr. Milford's version of events. The Civil Aviation Authority said that airlines were required to provide first aid training to cabin crew and carry certain medical equipment under rules set out by the European Aviation Safety Agency. In a statement, KLM said that the man was able to continue his journey after being examined upon landing. The airline does not concur with the doctor's interpretation of events. It said, adding, KLM has protocols for medical emergencies of this kind, which were also followed in this instance. A doctor on board was in contact with the KLM, KLM physician on duty. Based on the passenger's stable condition, a medical decision was made to fly on to Amsterdam. So, you know, basically it sounds like this article is asking, uh, this this doctor who was on this flight was asking for someone with medical expertise to be on each flight, either a doctor or a paramedic. And, you know, I think that's a hard call to make. So, yeah, I think you have to, if you're the airlines, you have to take a look at what the statistics tell you as to how many medical emergencies occur on flights and what those outcomes are and whether it justifies having a medical person on personnel on staff to man those flights because that's a big expense um me personally you know having been a physician now since i graduated in 2008 so we're talking about nine years um in all the flights i've taken in that time never once has there been a medical emergency on board um, and I fly a fair amount as a passenger. You know, I'm not flying all the time like Jeff or Nick or Dana. So certainly the occurrence of um, medical events on flights is is not going to be as prevalent as what they might see. But I think on most flights, there are people on, I mean, if you're talking about a flight of you know, 50 to 100 people or more, you're going to have someone on board who's got some sort of medical training. And I think it's been, you know, discussed here and in other places in the past where most airlines contract with in-flight uh, medical um, experts who are able to provide medical expertise and guidance over the phone or over um, whatever communication you're using in flight. 
um, to help direct that event and direct the flight crew and direct whoever might be on board assisting with that emergency as to what to do to get the passenger um, treated most effectively and safely, whether it's diverting or continuing on to the destination. Um, I think those measures are in place. So I, I agree that um, it probably, or I disagree with this particular case where it's, it's probably not necessary to have a paid medical personnel on staff on each flight. Cause I think that's going to be more expense and expertise than you actually need in most cases. I think the potential uh, uh, benefits are not outweighed by the risks there. So, so I've been flying on Acme for you know, <laughs> 28 and a half years and uh, I've only had maybe four or five medical uh, incidents slash emergencies in that time. And so let's say that's about an average of one every, what, five years or, or less. Yeah. I mean, that's a very, very, very low number. Um, so if you're trying to account for that eventuality on every single flight, it's, it's not worth the expense of having that highly medical, medically qualified personnel on every flight um, for a possibility that something might happen because the possibility is very look, low. These doctors are just looking for free, free tickets, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, I thought what was interesting about this article in particular is that uh, the, one of the last paragraphs says in a statement, KLM said that the man was able to continue his journey after being examined upon, a la um, upon landing. So, yeah, right. I mean, he, I mean, if he was even in the least bit in a bad situation, they would not have, allowed oh, him no, to continue no, no. his journey so he would have gone to a hospital something really kind of torqued her right. off <laughs> so she, she decided to complain about this but i mean i mean i guess she makes some good points but i think that as you eloquently described dr steph the you know it's all about risk versus benefit or cost versus benefit and mm -hmm. the, the such a low number of occurrences of this type um occur that uh it just doesn't make sense to, because you know the, that if we did have a, a, like a, a qualified doctor on every single flight, what 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 is that going to do to the cost of air, airline tickets? They're going to skyrocket. Right. Yeah, I mean, if they can justify cutting down the number of pilots to the level they have, how can they justify putting a, a, a doctor on board, which is going to cost just as much, uh, twice as much, actually. Well, there you go, and uh, yeah, the other high the hourly other. rates. So <laughs> very high hourly. Yeah, you only get paid when there's a medical emergency. Yeah, that oh, would work fine. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the other couple of points is that uh, usually our our training uh, requires us to use uh, to lay uh, a, a, an unwell passenger out uh, on a piece of floor because they need to be flat and level usually because right. that's one that's way the easiest way to get access to all of them and two that's uh, probably the safest thing to do uh, for most serious medical conditions well, and to be honest if you're going to yeah. be doing if you're going to be doing cpr on someone you want them on a flat hard surface you don't want them on something that's got a cushion underneath yeah, pre precisely as, that's exactly not create right, a cushion so. as a a potential business class seat. You so, don't want anything that's going to yeah. give way underneath them as you're doing chest compressions. So the floor would be a better option. Yeah. So that makes the galley area or usually near the doors is the only available area on an aircraft where you can get enough space to lay someone out usually. So 
much as she would probably have been more comfortable in a business class seat treating this guy, the guy wouldn't have been in the best place uh, for his condition. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that's uh, really fair. Now, if the onboard equipment wasn't suitable, that's, uh, that is a problem. But uh, I don't know whether it's actually a legal requirement for us to have the level of onboard equipment that she's suggesting. Certainly uh, on Acme Red, we have quite a high level of onboard equipment. Yeah. And most, it's regularly most European and American checked. carriers have a very high level of um, emergency equipment on board, um, especially. And it's, it's mostly geared towards people who are having a heart attack or other similar episode where you're going to need certain classes of medications and drugs to either get uh, their heart stimulated, started again, um, working again in conjunction with CPR, because those are the most um, serious life-threatening episodes that you could imagine and the ones that you could potentially do something about. So you're going to have your AED, you have the medications that go along with an ACLS protocol in case someone is there to be able to administer that appropriately. Um, you know, and there may be the occasion that something like that happens and someone's not there to do that appropriately. But that could happen anywhere, to be honest. It doesn't have to be on an airplane, you know. Um, I think trying to prepare for all of those instances is unrealistic. And, you know, sadly, that's sometimes just part of life. So. Yeah. And uh, if he was considered uh, fit enough to be moved to a seat, they would have done that just for the landing because that's the safest. It's safer to have him in a seat during landing than it is to have him laid out on the floor. However, if he had uh, you know, been serious enough that uh, he couldn't be moved, then of course the crew would have kept him on the floor and done their best to restrain him. They would have broken uh, the um, the in inverted commas rules because it was the safest option so and some of the crew might have put themselves at risk by by doing that and trying to restrain him there um the doctor obviously wouldn't have been asked to be involved with that in fact the doctor wouldn't have been asked to be uh stay beside him during severe turbulence uh she would have uh been presumably asked to go back to her seat uh because there's no way that she would they would need want anyone who volunteers to be put at danger during turbulence. So either she misinterpreted or perhaps the crew didn't uh, communicate that well, but that shouldn't be the case. I think she may have exaggerated the level of intensity of uh, the turbulence. Possibly. Well, I, and I couldn't possibly comment, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, severe turbulence and is like the airplane is momentarily out of control. Yeah, <laughs> and you're probably leaving the floor. Yeah. But I, w I will say this too, you know, I, I think as medical personnel, especially those of us who are subspecialized um, or even not so specialized, but are maybe general practitioners, it's most of us aren't don't have any training as to what to expect if we're on a, a commercial flight and we're called upon to provide assistance as to what is going to be available. Um, you know, I've talked about that on this and other podcasts in the past as to what the federal uh, regulations here in the United States require. Um, and that's easily accessible with a, a just a Google search. Um, it differs around the world between different carriers. Um, and it's if you're a medical professional and you're going to be traveling, it may not be a bad idea to be familiar with those uh, things or what, what might be on board to assist you in the event of emergency of an emergency, but it's also important for medical professionals to know that even though they're 
potentially in the situation where they're on a flight and they're called upon to uh, provide assistance, that they're not going to be alone in that measure. They're most, especially in the United States, most domestic um, carriers contract with uh, aviation medical professionals who they can contact in the flight um, while the event is occurring to get uh, guidance and support that's going to assist the flight crew and assist whoever's assisting on board with what to do in that scenario, because it may be something that, um, you know, maybe specifically aviation related. So things that you want to take into account when you're at altitude, as opposed to when you're on the ground. Um, and that's, that's really important for uh, those who might respond to emergencies to know about as well. So. Absolutely. Well said. Well, uh, thanks for finding that article Captain Nick and Dr. Steph, thanks for addressing it. I think uh, mm -hmm. that was very thorough. Very I think nice the, uh, the the yelling at the onset was a little uncalled for, that but was, I'll talk to yeah, Captain Nick about that later on. Over the top. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. Just I just kidding. wanted to make sure that you didn't listen. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. Thanks. <laughs> hey, APG crew, Stephen Ivy from West Georgia. Haven't left uh, any feedback, um, I think, since last year. Yeah, I think it was last year. But uh, I'm sitting here at uh, the McCollum Airport up here in uh, Cobb County waiting on my uh, flight instructor to get back from another lesson. So I thought I'd leave y'all some uh, audio feedback. Um, let's see, what have I done since last year? Um, I had took the time and I went ahead and knocked out my commercial written test and uh, passed it so did that back in uh, March and then uh, I started working on my commercial certificate and about halfway through that so that's what I've been working on um, and then I went down to Sun and Fun last weekend um, didn't see Mike or anybody down there, but uh, I'm sure he had fun down there by what I can see from his podcast. But uh, it's a sight to go down there, um, especially flying in on your own. Um, I made the decision to go in right when they started the procedure for the uh, sudden fun arrival. But uh, even leaving, um, it was very different than what you usually do as a pilot departing. It's more of a launch pad than a runway just one plane about right after the other one and then extremely close spacing and you can look over to your left and wave to the guy and basically carry on a conversation almost but uh definitely a fun event if anyone ever has an opportunity to go down there i definitely recommend it definitely more than a day i didn't realize what all there was to do down there and really wish i would have stayed a second day but uh the beach was calling my name and i kind of decided to um, chill out on the beach and practice, or not practice, but study for the uh, oral portion of my commercial check ride, which I'm hoping is going to be sometime the next month. But um, I actually had a question while I was, I'm sitting here recording this. Um, part of you know your commercial training, you have to do some different maneuvers than you did in your private. Um, I know one steep spirals where you have to go to about. 60 degrees pitch in either direction um, and I was wondering can um, any of the planes that Captain Jeff Dana or um, Captain Nick fly can y'all put one of those in a 60 degree pitch in either direct or 60 degree bank angle and 
actually still fly the plane without it tilting all the way over. That seems like it's extremely steep for a plane of that size to do it. But um, anyway, um, I'm also going to be going up to uh, Pittsburgh, so I hope to see y'all up there. Um, I'm going to be flying myself up there. I'm not sure if I'm going to be parking at the, the actual Pittsburgh airport or not. Uh, they kind of want an arm, a leg, and my firstborn for uh, gasoline, so I'm not too sure if I'm going to park there or not. But either way, I'll see y'all up there. Um, I'll be there Friday through uh, Sunday evening. So look forward to seeing everybody up there and hope everybody's doing well. Take care. Oh, and have unlimited IPAs. Yes. Thank you, Stephen. That's the most yes. important thing, of course. I yes. think I think a couple of you of our uh, hosts have. I would like to say that I have had fewer than someone else. Not tonight. me. That's all I'm going to say. Fewer, fewer uh, than Captain Nick. I, and um, I would like to say I have had fewer than somebody else in the world. Uh, <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Oh, boy. Um, always good to hear from you, Stephen, and uh, look forward to seeing you up oh, in certainly. Pittsburgh. I uh, I uh, met up with Stephen in uh, where was I? Uh, Atlanta. Yeah, you were here in Atlanta. the other day, uh, and uh, he came across uh, to the hotel to join myself. I hooked up with another captain and uh, a bunch of our crew, and uh, we went out to a local Mexican joint, and then out to Hooters. Because that's oh, apparently right. the thing to do when you're in America. Got a Hooters. They have good wings, I hear. Yes, they yeah. do. That's you go. Yeah, the they, they, we actually had some of their new smoked wings, which mm -hmm. I, I quite enjoyed. They were very good. But they have a very poor BS IPA selection. You know, they're get, the local one that's near where I live, um, on their sign at least, I have not been inside to check it out myself, but as far as anybody knows. Uh, they have. Uh, they said there's something about our, you know, check out our new craft beer selection. So I think they're finally acknowledging that uh, people, you know, they, they need to up up their, you know, up their the selection, yeah. up their game. So, so that means uh, they have Blue Moon now? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Killian, uh, Killian's Red. Uh, next next time, try going to Twin Peaks. <laughs> Right. So, uh, Any, anyway, while I was meeting Stephen, uh, we uh, were talking about his fabulous uh, uh, light aircraft he has uh, recently obtained, and uh, his Mooney. And he's thinking nice. of flying, thinking of flying it up to uh, Pittsburgh. He was Excellent. saying that it might be a bit expensive to go to Pittsburgh because the gas is uh, is not cheap and the landing fees, etc. But anyway, uh, I was saying to him that. Uh, if he's going to fly up there and he's got room, I would probably uh, uh, try and get to Atlanta, then ship up with him, because that'd be kind of cool. I think that'd be really great. Yeah. So, nice. Uh, hoping that comes off. And actually, uh, Hillel, I know, is also doing a bit of organisation for a fly-in yep. for Pittsburgh. So I hope Stephen is going to get in touch with Hillel, and uh, I think they might be waiving some of the fees yes. uh, for those APGs that are going they in. They are indeed. Fantastic. Yep. In which case, uh, it might be okay for Stephen to go in uh, straight into Pittsburgh. But uh, having said that, I'll be hoping to get into Pittsburgh on Thursday evening. I don't know when Stephen will be going up. So, yet to be organized. Uh, landing fees are uh, waived on that. Okay, well, that's that's great. 
but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to go halves on the gas as well. So hopefully. Yeah, the gas, you're probably not going to get free gas unless you happen to eat at a Mexican restaurant before you <laughs> take off. <laughs> <laughs> but bam, I should play him. I wish I had a sound effect. That's not the one I was looking for. But <laughs> it'll do. There we go. Hey, That's the one. Yes, that was very nice. <laughs> Thank hey, you. Nick, you know we're in uh, in Atlanta. Go get some good Mexican, don't you? Uh, well, yeah, that fantastic place you took me to. Mm-hmm. That's that where you need to nice. go. Yeah. They can have all the gas you need to get yourself all the way up there. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's taking me to that place. That was, uh, that was good food. I enjoyed that. All right. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Let's go on to the topic of go-arounds. Uh, let's see. DC John sent in a link to something on Twitter. Uh, actually, it was a video that was posted on Twitter. Excuse me? <laughs> Speaking of gas, right. excess gas, uh, the, uh, from, the, uh, from the gut. Uh, anyway, DC huh? John says, just wanted to pass along this short videotape of a, to me, wonky-looking approach by American Airlines Flight 1753, followed by a decision to go around. And uh, so he included a link to that, so you can check it out. On It will be in the show notes. And aviation writer John Ostrauer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, commented, quote, the only scary go-around is the one you decide not to do. I guess the this tweet was said something about this is a scary go-around. Uh, but uh, aviation writer John... Ostrauer, um, you know, has nailed it. It, uh, It's not scary uh, unless you don't do a go around and then it could be a a scary thing. So, well, the only, I I looked at that video, the only thing scary about it is the weather. It it was uh, pretty uh, dire. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guys on board make a great decision not to try and persist with that approach and rescue it. Toward the end, it looked, uh, it looked quite uh, unstable at the, at the very end and they made the right decision. Mm You yeah, can always go ah, around. I found it. Don't look right coming down. Let's all sing along. Don't wait until your sides may be sliding on the ground. You can always go around. That's not singing stuff. <laughs> That's just talking. Uh, we're gonna get. You know what? Here's here's talking, some uh, talking with style. Here's some incentive for huh? you. Uh, if you head out to Pittsburgh, we're gonna get stuff to sing. Well, well, we're trying anyway. Those are terrible, <laughs> terrible rumors. Uh, Only if you can feed her enough IPA, IPA and chicken wing. No, no chicken nuggets yeah. and takes uh, a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I won't rule in or rule out the possibility of seeing karaoke in Pittsburgh if you're there. That'll be fun. We'll make sure it's a live exclusive event, though. Okay. So you know what? I don't know maybe. if um, Carlos is going to bring his uh, his his. I think uh, we're just going to go find some place to oh, actually sing karaoke. That'll be fun. Yeah. I guess I should start uh, for you guys preparing for that. I don't know. I, I want you to find us a place like they have in Top Gun where. Uh, uh, they sing. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. They didn't actually sing karaoke there. They just started singing. Well, that's what I mean. If you haven't got a karaoke, you just need to find a, a really nice you know place to just start singing. Yeah. With the two of us, we'll just go in and we'll sing. Um, oh, gosh. What's the name of the song? No, I can't think of the name of the song. Islands from in the Top Gun. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. It's not that. The theme from Top Gun? No, the one that they sing in the bar to um, 
to Charlie. You got that you loving feeling? That yeah, love and feeling. Yes, we'll sing that. Whoa, whoa, that love and feeling. We'll have to do this Some after. Some unsuspecting I'll, I'll APG listener. You, I will. We'll, we'll have to, to do me? that after Dana leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured nice. you and I could, could walk up to someone and, and sing it, you know. Unsuspectingly. Yeah. Well, then they could take their pick between a hairy old man and a beautiful young girl. <laughs> We've lost complete control. I think Dana's having a seizure. <laughs> and I'm not even drinking. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, I'm back in charge. Uh-huh. Uh, right. My older pilot's back in. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of the topic of go-arounds and uh, missed approaches and such, Mark sent us some audio feedback. Hello, APG crew. I've been in the live chat room of a few podcasts before, but it's my first time actually leaving feedback, so I'll briefly present myself. I'm Marc-Alexandre, or simply Mark, from Montreal, Canada, with self-diagnosed APG syndrome. Yay! In 2015, I got my glider pilot license with the Air Cadets, and this summer, I will work on my PPL, again with the Air Cadets. I currently study aircraft maintenance, even though my objective is to become an airline pilot. Enough about myself, here's my question. In episode 266, you discussed the maneuver to be performed when wind shear occurs on approach. Basically, it was to execute a go-around. This led me to wonder about the difference between a go-around and a missed approach. Are they simply synonyms of the same procedure, or are they different by the location they are initiated, the event that triggers them, or the way they are executed? Thank you, Mark, from Montreal. Well, thank you, Mark. Great feedback. Uh, we do appreciate hearing from you and everyone that sends in audio feedback. Um, Montreal, what a beautiful city. Um, it's been a while since I've been there, but I hope to be back again soon. But um, yeah. Uh, first of all, we'd like to express our condolences regarding the APG syndrome. APG syndrome. There is no cure. APG syndrome. We are sorry for that. But you know, we're all afflicted. So, Mark, just hang in there. You know, hang out with the community. We'll we'll get you through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a great question um, because we use, it seems that uh, to the person that's not in this profession, that we seem to use these terms almost, um, you know, in the same way. And so uh, who would like to tackle, what is the difference between a go around and a missed approach? Dana, you, you, go. you don't know, Jeff? I, I think know. Jeff no, should do it. I, I think Jeff should do it. Oh, yeah, come so on. Do I. I'm trying to get more no, involvement from everybody. No, you get plenty of involvement. Okay. Well, then I'll do it. Uh, basically, you're so eloquent with the words. Yes, with 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 those words. Uh, basically, a missed approach is a go around maneuver performed while performing an instrument approach, and at a specified point in space, uh, or a, an altitude on an, a precision approach. If you don't see what you're required to see to continue down the glide path to the runway, you must. Uh, execute a missed approach and when doing the missed approach we perform the go around procedure and we talk about toga all the time and we're not talking about um 
What's the movie? Toga. 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 Animal House. <laughs> Animal House. Thank you. Uh, that's not the. We're not talking about toga parties or togas uh, worn in ancient Rome. We were talking about take off, go around. And uh, so when we perform a missed approach, we push the toga button, uh, basically uh, advancing the throttles toward go around power, which is a high power setting. And then doing other procedures in this, uh, in executing this procedure, you know, raising the nose of the aircraft and uh, doing something with your configuration and then flying the actual uh, uh, path of the missed approach procedure or um, executing the instructions given to you by uh, tower or approach control. or So... Um, but uh, if you're in a visual situation, you're not on an instrument approach, and you're coming in and you're not in a stabilized position at a certain point, or perhaps something happens you know, when you're getting close to the runway, uh, perhaps another airplane is on the runway, or somebody's crossing and they're taking too long to cross, or whatever, uh, the, the uh, tower controller may tell you, or you may decide yourself based on your uh, stability or lack of stability, that it's time to perform a go-around. And in this case, it wouldn't really be a missed approach because uh, you you know you see the runway and uh, you're just basically trying to get the airplane uh, away from the ground, flying in a you know, safe altitude regarding uh, obstacles and terrain, etc. And so uh, they're very very similar things and sometimes exactly the same thing, but um, uh, the missed approach really applies specifically to the situation when you're actually flying an instrument approach procedure. Now, what did I miss there? I think well, it was pretty know, excellent. Uh, I would only say, uh, Jeff, that we tend to call the procedure where you stop descending uh, towards the uh, runway and start climbing away again, the go around. And But the procedure we then fly uh, is the missed approach procedure. So uh, we tend not to refer to the go-around as a missed approach. When someone says missed approach, we usually refer to the guidance on the approach plate that tells you where to go, what height to climb to um, when you have flown a go-around. That's very a very good point, and, and I think that that would be accurate probably for us as well. Dana? Yeah, I was going to uh, Alex Stroud ask actually a question because you you touched upon it a little bit, and he 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 asked, uh, "Is toga max thrust?" And the answer to the question on toga it's it's really not a max thrust. It's a it's a it's a thrust setting based on current environmental conditions, um, and, and you know it's a sufficient amount of climb thrust to pull the aircraft to, away from the ground as if you were taking off. Uh, so, no, it is not a max thrust maneuver. Uh, max thrust would be a firewall, and that would be if you have uh, ground contact intimate, like in a, imminent, not, uh, I was going to say intimate, but intimate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. Yeah. If so, anyways, if 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 you have, you know, a wind shear type of scenario or uh, ground contact is, is, uh, is, a, a very high likelihood of happening, then that's when you go to max thrust. Um, but I agree with both you guys. I mean, it's 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 really a, a, a context, and you know, the missed approach is a procedure. It's what's published for an instrument approach, and you, you guys 
both exactly correct. I mean, it's, but it is, it's the approach procedure and then the misapproach part of that procedure. So go around is the actual function of you're getting away from the ground and you're going to either a missed approach procedure or you're going around in visual conditions because so, there's no published procedure. Right. And just to put a little bit of a cherry on top of your explanation of uh, toga powers uh, as uh, compared to maximum power, Toga power is like the maximum power that you want to have the engines provide, uh, but respecting all of the uh, safe operating parameters of the engine. In other words, so you can yeah. use the engine again without having it inspected and all that kind of stuff. But if you're in a situation where you need maximum power, as Dana said, we call it firewall. You just shove the throttles all the way up and you get you probably will end up exceeding many many of the parameters of the engine the engine temperatures and rpms and everything else but at that point you don't care because you're you care about saving lives not saving engines now that's interesting uh, on our aircraft uh, we don't have a position past toga so when you go to toga uh, you are getting the best you can out of the engines. There's there's no setting beyond. You can't exceed toga. Um, however, you can only maintain it for a short period of time uh, because that the temperature that the engines go to is so high that you will physically start to damage uh, the blades uh, after a certain period. It's uh, limited to either five or ten minutes, depending on the reason for going and setting toga. So, for example, in an emergency situation, uh, when you're really worried about ground contact, uh, well, if you're really worried about ground contact, you just keep it going, wouldn't you? would never come away from toga. But uh, 10 minutes is the absolute maximum. Five minutes is the normal maximum. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but we don't have a setting above. So it does depend on your aircraft type. But certainly, uh, generally speaking, Toga is the setting you go to to get max power. And that's probably um, more to do with the like the the, the full authority digital. Um, what's the uh, EEC electronic Fadex. control? Fadex. Yeah, Fadex yeah. systems that uh, are in most modern airplanes, and including one of the airplanes that I fly. So don't give me a bad time about that. No, but no the, way. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but but the uh, well, the Pratt and Whitney's that we fly. You know the uh, the eighty eight. Uh, version of the airplane that Dana and I, and I fly are not controlled by FADEX systems. So, um, you know, they, there are fuel control units that uh, set certain power settings, toga power and climb power and max continuous and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> the nice thing is that we actually have the cables that go all the way back to the fuel control units uh, back on the engines. And if we need everything that that thing can give us, I mean, we literally push the throttles to the stops on the thing and that most assuredly will require an engine inspection in the least and an engine change uh, at the worst well so, and, and also on the uh, uh not to interrupt but the okay. uh the md90 uh that has a fadec on it and that fadec even in even having the fadec on the aircraft there's a gate that you can go through and when you go through the gate, even with the FADEC on, on our airplane, it gives you everything it possibly could give you, um, which I'm kind of surprised here that Airbus doesn't have that. I mean, the toga, you know, I get, but, uh, you know, if, if ground contacts them and, you know, burn up those engines, who cares? Uh, they're not giving you all that much power. I guess we need to give Air Canada that information. 
I, I think you misinterpret uh, how well controlled the uh, engines are on the Airbus. They're going to give you the best level of power without destroying the engines because you can only maintain it for a very short period of time before you start melting blades. So I don't think there's anything extra to be gained there because if you start exceeding maximum temperature, you're just going to destroy the engines anyway. Well, it's better to destroy the engine than, than the airplane. Well, no, because if you... If you destroy the engine in your attempt to get away from the ground, you're going to hit the ground regardless. If you uh, fire, if you put the engines to max power and you gently, gently climb away, then you've actually achieved the aim. So, no, there are times when you want to perhaps firewall the engine and you destroy the engine and then you'd hit the trees. There are times perhaps when you select Toga, the engines would give you the best they possibly could and you miss the trees. So I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, in general, aviation aircraft, if you're going to go around, it generally involves uh, moving the throttle or power to full power. So there we go. At least for, you know, the amount of time that you can sustain that at. So, you know, the bottom line, of course, to all of this is knowing, you know, when it's time to go around and you can know and then knowing go around if it don't look right come down i just wanted to play that don't again. wait until your <laughs> i know you did on the ground you can always go around okay <laughs> and know your aircraft okay oh i know i'm sorry oh i i interrupted mid sentence sorry steph you'll no no to, it's good you'll have to slap me once we see each other. Okay. Um, Anders writes, uh, Hello, Jeff and the APG crew. Firstly, I would like to thank you for an excellent podcast. You're welcome. I wish I could listen to all of your podcasts, but I usually get the time to listen only when doing long drives with the family to my parents. Your podcast makes the boring six-hour drive bearable. Uh, I wanted to give you some feedback on the United passenger who got kicked off the flight or maybe rather dragged off the flight. But first, I would like to describe my work. I'm not a, in aviation or law enforcement, but I work in a field that share, shares one thing with law enforcement, child services, where I work as a child welfare officer. The thing I share with law enforcement uh, is my work is completely governed by laws. I don't have a big problem with the actions of United up until they try to blame the passenger and do not have a big problem with the passenger's actions either. But I do have a gigantic problem with the law enforcement officials. Here's how I look upon what happened. The passenger bought a ticket, boarded the aircraft. When no one wanted to voluntarily leave the aircraft, the airline did what they are entitled to do. They pulled four random passengers off the flight. Well, random in quotes. The passenger, who probably hadn't read the fine print, nobody does, refused to leave the flight, believing he could do that, which he couldn't without violating the contract. The airline then, when he still refused, called the authorities to get the passenger off the aircraft as they believed he was in a breach of the contract, which he rightly was. So here's my problem. When you work in an agency governed by the law, any actions you take has to have a legal ground for it. One of the first questions I ask myself in my work is what legal authority I have in the situation I'm facing. So I think the proper way this should have been handled is the law enforcement agents would have arrived listen to the airline representatives, then listen to the airline, to the passenger, 
They should have realized that this was about one passenger who thought that the airline was in breach of the contract they had signed when he bought the ticket, and an airline that thought the passenger was breaching the contract by not leaving the aircraft when asked to and quickly concluded that this was not a criminal case, but rather a civil case that they had no authority over. They should have informed the airline and passenger of this, and then they should have left. The airline would then have two possibilities, either up the compensation offered and hoped the passenger or someone else would have taken it, or they could have taken or told the passenger that they refused to leave, that refused to leave, that they are canceling the flight if he does not leave and that they would file a lawsuit against him seeking monetary compensation for that canceled flight. Either way, I'm pretty sure that the problem would have sorted itself out pretty fast. So, from my point of view, the biggest responsibility lies with the law enforcement agents who acted way out of their authority by actively settling a civil case by force. Just my two cents on the whole thing. Take care. Keep the great work up. Anders Samuelson in Stockholm, Sweden. Thank you. Uh, that was an interesting perspective from Anders. And by the way, uh, hats off to you with that work that you do, which is extremely important work and uh, must be very difficult work at times. And uh, thank you for doing that. We, we, we really appreciate that. And thank you for sending in the feedback as well. So what, what do you think, gang? I mean, I, I don't feel any differently than I did on the last show where we talked about how maybe there were a lot of missed opportunities at multiple levels here, mm-hmm. not only by the airline staff, but also the law enforcement uh, personnel and also the passenger themselves to prevent this from escalating to such a situation as it did. Um, I have some information, by the way. I learned from an expert, someone who uh, flies for the airline that was involved in this case and, and knows a little a little bit more information about this. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out that the crew, the, the four uh, airline crew members, uh, flight attendants in this case, that were going to be transported to Louisville to uh, fly the the flight the next morning out of there. Um, we're, we're already booked. They already had seats. They had already checked in. They just had not made it to the gate yet. So those seats were actually, should have been blocked off. And the gate agent knew that they were um, associated with that the, that crew. And as is the case with many, many airlines, the... Um, the emphasis on on-time departures came into play with this gate agent, and she thought, or he, I'm not sure if it was a he or she, the gate agent thought, okay, well, there's no way they're going to make it, even though I can see that they're checked in. They're not here yet, so I'm going to release those four seats, and I'm going to go ahead and allow some of the people here um, uh, those seats, You know, l- allow them to take them seats. Well, guess what? The crew actually showed up. Then... Mm-hmm. This person was in a predicament because the seats that were blocked for this crew were given to passengers, and that's when the problem occurred. So the, the whole thing could have been solved if the gate agent had waited a little bit longer, waited for the crew to arrive and take the seats that they had checked in for and um, not allowed the four passengers that took those seats to board the airplane. But as Steph said, and I agree with her, and I think every most people I've talked to, when it gets to the point, no matter who was at fault and who screwed up, when a when a uh, airport security officer or a policeman or whatever else shows up and basically says it's time for you to get off the airplane, whether that's right or wrong, 
uh, I think most, you know, sane people would say, okay, I'm, I, I'm going to lose this argument. I better get up out of my seat and get off the airplane and then try to figure out exactly, you know, how to, how to handle the situation beyond that. Right. Point. I mean, I think you, you still have a lot of options at that point, you know, even if you're the one who gets bumped off the plane, whether it was right or lo- right or wrong, you know, you can plead your case on another level after you get off the plane. Right. So. You know, I want to, I, I want to say something here and, and I've, there's a lot of he said, she said going on. But what mm-hmm. I do want, I, I'm a former gate agent. And knowing that the agents are under a lot of stress to get these aircraft out because everything is driven by on time, on time, on time. You know, I, I don't know when the crew did show up. But, you know, just like I said, uh, you know, in the past show, I was going to Charlotte. I was deadheading to Charlotte and I showed up. We showed up quite literally five minutes before the aircraft was going to push back from the gate because while we were late inbound, the gate agent took our seats and canceled them and had no, you know, had no way of giving us back the seats without us going through uh, crew, crew scheduling and getting that whole thing taken care of that way. So the gate agent is at fault here to, to a certain extent. However, you know, the get becomes a point where they have to take the seats, whether it be a paying passenger or a uh, you know non-revenue passenger or a crew member, because they have to get the aircraft out and they have people at the gate that are trying to get on the flight. Right. So the gate agent is is the villain here. When really, um, it, it's what we always talk about. It's communications. Nobody let the gate agent know, or you know, operations say, hey, listen, this crew is coming in on this flight and they need to be on this airplane. And let them know, and let the gate agent know when they're coming in, because normally gate agent can pull a what's a, it, it's a downline connection manifest, and so they can look at their flight and know who's coming from where at what time for their flight. Well, there's no way they can do that for the for for crew members. They just they, they can't pull that type of report, right. not that I know. Of. And and so in contrast to the flight I was on last night, where coming from Houston to Charlotte, we had about a gazillion, no exaggeration. Uh, pre-boarding slash wheelchair passengers getting on the plane, including three that were on a flight that were delayed and they were going to be the last people getting to the flight. But because these were, you know, they weren't crew members, they weren't coming last minute, the the gate agents knew about them. They actually blocked off a row of seats in the front of the aircraft for them so that they could get on the flight, which I thought was interesting. Well, and that's exactly my point. Yeah. I mean, that's, they knew that they were coming. They exactly. know, they know that they're, you know, you know, what type of assistance they might need. They know how far the gate is away. And they knew they, they were going to make it. It wasn't like, they were gonna make it, it wasn't a surprise. And it was a surprise. And, and then the, the, the crew members walk up and well, that's a surprise because she had, or he had no idea. And even to complicate even things more, we may be talking about two different airlines. We're right. talking about. Uh, a regional carrier that may have not been talking to United who sent the crew. Exactly. Or it might be another regional carrier that was dead hitting on another regional no, carrier. It was, so it was no, that, no community. It, it was, we do know that. It was a regional, it was the regional airlines crew, uh, flight attendants. Okay, so it, it was Republic's crews. Yeah. Okay, well, but still. And it they, was they United, uh, main, mainline United uh, agent. Okay, so we do know that. But all right, so even being said, it's still, well, see now, if it's a mainline United agent, they don't necessarily have the communications with the regional crew, crew, crew scheduling, crew tracking that that's handling. Same thing like if if you had, uh, you know, we have Acme agents working the ASA flights. 
right? So they don't necessarily know what Acme crews are coming and vice versa. So th there's a lot of there's a lot of things here, but you know, basically, you know, we hit it last week real hard. I'm, I'm just really kind of stepping in and saying, listen, it, it really isn't all on the gate agent because they they don't always have all the tools. And in this case, more than likely he or she did not have the tools. Uh, yeah. So I think we can all agree that it was the gate agent's fault. 100%. Okay. I'll see <laughs> you guys later. Have a good night. Yeah. I'm, I'm out too. Good night. I'm just kidding. Just what I said earlier about having a little piece of the blame, you know, I'm just kidding. I just, uh, who cares anymore? Uh, let's go on to something more. Happy. Well, I think United do. They, uh, have their share price recovered yet? Oh, I'm sure it is. Uh, Nobody even remembers this incident. Because <laughs> no. We're talking about the what couple happened? that was on their honeymoon. Now. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that because we're going to move on to Jeff in Minneapolis. He said, I just wanted to publicly congratulate APG community member 402 Phil on being hired by Acme Jr. Can we say Sky West? Yes, we can say that. He will be based Yay. at uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul flying CRJs, the only plane less advanced than Captain Jeff's Mad Dog. Uh, that was not fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that Good was, job. Yeah. Well done. Uh, this is a second career for, for Phil. He has been buzzing Montana mountains in a Cessna 402 building time. Now he gets to fly from home. So from the Airline Pilot Guy crew, we'd like to say congratulations. <laughs> Good job. Congratulations. Good job. Great. Right. Um, getting close to the end of our three-hour period here. Let's see. What do I want to do before we finish? Let's do um, John Brown. Uh, he said, Dear Captain Jeff Captain, our crew and APGers, greetings again from Ontario, Canada. My last feedback was eons ago. Somebody look up exactly how long ago that was. Uh, I live just north of Toronto. Yeah, the Eon. Uh, no, just... it's, it's an atmospheric level near the mesosphere. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a period of time. Hold on. Okay. Uh, I live just north of Toronto and realized too late that you were in town for a short visit last month. Sorry I missed you. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed you too, John. Anyway, my wife and I recently flew our Cicada Trinidad. I think Is that right? Cicada? Or Cicada? Cicada, uh... maybe. Never heard of that. Trinidad, sure. down to Key West to visit friends there for a week. And on the way, we visited or passed many of your frequent destinations. Greenville, uh, GSP, mm -hmm. uh, Jacksonville, Melbourne, Greensboro, North Carolina. We passed Asheville, but unfortunately could not stop to sample the IPAs. On the return trip, our route took us over runway 10 at Savannah, but I did not know about the graves mentioned in a recent passage or podcast. I did manage a picture. Picture, I did manage a picture of two Acme Mad Dogs lining up, though. On the last leg into Canada, our flight took us right over Pittsburgh International, so I took the opportunity to grab a shot. And he said, "See the attached photo." So I'll put these uh, photos that he included in here, um, in the uh, in the show notes. And he says, "I've already booked a parking spot with the FBO for the Wings Over Pittsburgh show." And I booked my room at a local hotel, so I look forward to meeting you all in person. I love the evolution of the show with your able co-hosts and the, is it rivalry? Uh, how do you pronounce that? R-I-B-A-L-D-R-I. I defer to Nick. Nick. Ribaldry? 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 I think he just made that up. Uh, no, I've heard the word. <laughs> I think I've read Ribaldry? it. Ribaldry? 
Rivel. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, John, I'm messing that up. Okay. I have a bachelor's of arts and took English and literature classes, and I have no idea. I'm sorry. Okay, we're going to find uh, out I'm right now. I'm uh, actually trying to find that because there's all the photographs and there's oh, at wait the a bottom. Minute, there's text at the bottom. At the bottom. Uh, ribaldry. Ribaldry. Let's see. That sounds reasonable to me. Ribaldry. Yep, you got it. There you go. <laughs> ribaldry. Ribaldry. And then the next one. Ribaldry. Bandinage. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not there. Let me get back to my Evernote. Uh, oh. Uh, bad, uh, what is it? Badinage? I, I don't know. I was asking. Uh, Where are we? Um, I know the last one. It's hilarity. And hilarity. Definitely have hilarity. I think John is doing this on purpose. He's going, I'm going to throw some words in that he's not going to be able to Ribaldry, badinage, or badinage. Badinage. I, th that was hilarity. I think it's badinage. Uh, Go on, give us it. Quite. Give us it. Uh, I'm trying to... Get it here. Here we go. Pronunciation. And here we go. Badinage. 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 Can we not have a Frenchman say it? Can we have an Englishman say it? <laughs> I don't think I can specify that. <laughs> okay. So, and Nick does might be fighting words. Badinage and hilarity, which frequently yeah. ensues. <laughs> you know what I should have done? I should have just taken that whole sentence out. John, <laughs> but John got us as an expat go. Scott. Oh, no wonder he's a Scott. I can particularly, <laughs> particularly appreciate Captain Nick's wry British sense of humor and his plain tales, which are outstanding. Best wishes. What a, what a nice chap. I like this chap. John, I figured you would. John Brown, <laughs> he is the flying family doctor. And I, I just like his airplane that he drew at the bottom. Yeah, I love that. Wasn't it's an ask, wasn't ask John it. Brown the member of Queen Victoria's household that had a rather naughty relationship with her? I don't Mr. know anything John about Brown, that. And Mr. he was a Scot as well. And oh, he used maybe to he's keep related. Under his kilt. <laughs> he but did what? I'm sorry? He used to keep things under his kilt. I'm sure he did. <laughs> Queen Victoria was very interested things in Things, in quotes. Oh, okay. Things. Exactly right. Um, it's, hey, it's, it's so, a so a definition of an eon. I've got a couple definitions. Oh, please. Thank you. Uh, one is an indefinite and very long period of time, often a period exaggerated for humorous or rhetorical effect. Okay. Uh, in astronomy, it is a unit of time equal to a billion years. That's a long time. So I'm thinking well, that this and is... And in geology, it's a major division of geological time subdivided into eras. Well, there so, you go, Steph. I, I was using it for for a humorous effect. <laughs> and Not a billion years. I'm thinking he was using it uh, to exaggerate a little bit. I think so. <laughs> Just a bit. Guess we and now not, you know. We have not been doing this show for eons, so it's impossible. Sorry, John. No, I'm gonna... And thank you so much again for throwing those words in that I can't pronounce. And uh, the last picture in his series of photos that he included attached to his feedback email shows the eastern end of the Pittsburgh International Airport with the 9-11th Air, uh, Reserve Airlift Wing. And that's where we are going, or several of us will be, uh, in just a few weeks at the whoop, whoop. Uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh <laughs> Air Show. And it's going to be a great time. By the way, it's been six years i believe since pittsburgh has done this and uh it's a big deal the community is really getting involved i heard commercials for the show on both tv and radio uh while i was there in pittsburgh so it's it's a big deal so i'm glad that we're get we get to be a part of it 
Excellent. Uh, can, 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 where's, the, where's the hotel, Jeff? The hotel in that picture, if you're looking at it, is um, just to, you know see that um, there, you see the runway there in the in the photo. Yep. The uh, and that's the center runway because you can't really see the north runway in that picture. So this is the center and the uh, southernmost runways. And the the uh, the one in the picture that's uh, the northernmost, just north of that, at the east end of it or the right end of it, is where the base is. And you see that big, um, you see the big apron, and yeah. the, you see a road right beyond that. And then just on the other yeah. side of the road, on that little uh, overpass, is where yeah. the hotel is, right there. Okay, where's the bar? Uh, right next to the hotel. You missed not even in the hotel. Actually, it is in ho- in the hotel. Oh, okay. And, and all around, there are all kinds of places, all kinds of watering holes. And we'll Don't worry. probably have we our own supplies as well. We will have alcoholic beverages for we, you. We will. That was, uh, was funny. It's like uh, the people there were going, well, um, you know, you can have your own beverages in your room, but, you know, you can't take them out of your room. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. no problem. You know, we're not, we're not going to. We're not going to uh, abuse that privilege at all. <laughs> I'm pouting. Sorry, Dana. Uh, we're not going to, you know what? Let's just forget the whole thing. Dana can't go, so let's just don't go. <laughs> all right. I'm only kidding. Oh, guys. You guys are going to have such a, you guys are going to have such a great time. Yeah, we are. I'm jealous. Oh, well. Okay, that's it. Uh, we have a few more here in the folder, but I was being very optimistic with the number of uh, pieces of feedback I threw in there. So next uh, time we're going to hear uh, from Kevin regarding uh, simulator training time. Uh, we're going to uh, hear from John regarding his Falcon 2000 rating. Mayrod um, uh, uh, searching, uh, se- searching, seeking, there we go, that's the word, seeking advice uh, regarding um, an airline career. And Mark... Uh, some feedback from Sydney, Australia. So look forward to hearing from them and more of you on the next episode, episode 269. But this is it for 268. So if you want to learn more about the show, head over to airlinepilotguy.com, our great website um, managed by Arash. And um, you can find out all kinds of information about the show, the um, the crew, the community, the coffee fund, etc. And uh, you can also download the Airline Pilot Guy apps via iTunes and Google Play and on social media. Social media. <laughs> you can find us. Tuckers uh, <laughs> on social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, social media. You can find us on the Twitter um, at APG Crew, all one word there. Um, you can find all of us together. You can tweet at us. We will probably respond to at some point you can find all of our individual contact information on a pinned tweet at the top of that page you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash airline pilot guy again all one word there um captain nick does most of the responding there although i've i read it so yeah, i'm looking yeah. at what you're well, saying she's hr so she has to keep a check on me <laughs> somebody's got to watch right <laughs> And then uh, on uh, there's another app that's not our own app. It's called Slack. It's kind of like a perpetual chat room. And it also has a place for folks to post information about meetups and other important information. I'm sorry, the dogs are getting louder in the background instead of quieter. But if you would like to join Slack, you can first go to Twitter, get in touch with our APG community member, Hillel. He's at HI11E1. And you'll need to send him your email address so that he can get you set up with an account on Slack to join our group there. And that should do it for social media. That does. 
and uh, looking forward to being back again with all my friends to talk about flying, aviation, etc. on the next show, which will be sometime next week. We're not sure when, but uh, just uh, watch or follow us on the social media, get the apps, and I'll send out a push notification, and you can join us here with the uh, live recording if you uh, happen to be in the right place at the right time, or you can always obviously download us on iTunes or your your podcatcher software of choice. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Take care, y'all. everybody. Have a great time. See you soon at Pittsburgh. Cheers. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy